And we are live. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, guys. We are back with episode 18. 18. Yeah, episode of... 18 of the Worldwide Wednesday podcast. Uh, my name is Shiny. And I'm Sovereign. And yes, we are back after a two-week hiatus. And we are live. Welcome, oh, everybody. Oh shit. oh, shit. Welcome, guys. We are back with episode... Okay, now we are back. Let's not have audio problems again. I'm, shi- I'm shiny. And I'm sovereign. Huh. We're back after a two-week hiatus. Thanks to COVID and... What happened the week before COVID? Family. Oh yeah, that's right. I had family over, yeah. Yes. Uh, sovereign had family two weeks ago, and then last week there was a COVID outbreak in... in your family yeah and so uh but now we're back and we have a lot to talk about in terms of media as well as politics so so let's get started i want to get started with um the marvel news that has come out recently okay yeah so we're gonna start with marvel so first off let's talk about the thing that came out first which was the thor love and thunder trailers because at this point two trailers have come out since we last did this podcast. <laughs> so yeah. let's start with the Thor Love and Thunder trailers. Which, it's surprising considering it's coming out in summer that we're only getting trailers now. Then again, I mean, Doctor Strange. Yeah, ever since Spider-Man, it's just been like... Ever since No Way Home, it's just been a very slow stream of content. Yeah. As, or as far as like teaser content. Well, then again, you got to remember, Book of Boba Fett was the big hotness that came out Disney-wise after... Uh, it was, um, what was it? It was No Way Home, and then afterwards we had Book of Boba Fett, we had Turning Red, then we had Moon Knight, then we had Doctor Strange, so now we got to promote Thor. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, let's talk about the two Thor trailers. So... First of all, I like the vibe that we're going with. It's still keeping the Ragnarok vibe, but it feels very firmly like we're done with Thanos. We're done with it. It's yeah. over. And didn't like the music correct me if I'm wrong, did the music jump a decade as yes, far as it like did. as far as like tone? Yes it did. Good, good. Because I know before we got um I forgot the name of the song, but of course it played like twice in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. Um and now we're getting, a, like, clearly we're jumping a decade as yes. far as, like... They're both iconic songs, and I completely forgot the name. Yeah. But in the first trailer, what we more got is, like, focus on what uh, the potential uh, character arc for Thor might be, which, l- leading by the first trailer, looks to be, like, a uh, hanging of the cape type uh, situation. Yeah. Or maybe not hanging of a cape, but, like, rediscovering like who he is in this post yeah. infinity saga world i would say that with the first trailer alone that's more the vibe i get the second trailer kind of contradicts yeah. that a little bit but not too much yeah so the song that was in uh thor love and thunder so the first song was a immigrant song by led zeppelin that was in thor ragnarok and this one is sweet child of mine by guns and roses okay and so yeah um, the second trailer does kind of contradict it a bit, but I can kind of see where we're going. I, I, in kinda, sense... I, I like that more in the second trailer, I'm not going to lie. Oh, no, I like the second trailer more. The first trailer... So I feel the first trailer kind of establishes that Thor 
He doesn't know where he's at. He's with the Guardians doing Guardian things, but he's not really comfortable. He's kind of with them because, like, he doesn't feel like he should be at Asgard. But now that he's with them and he's, like, doing missions with them, he's kind of like, is this really all I want out of life? Yeah. And so I think what this movie is trying to show is that Thor needs to remember that he may not be... He may not be suited to be, like, a hero in the sense of, like, the Guardians or King in the sense for Asgard, but he's still, at the end of the day, a god. Yes. And he has a responsibility as a god. And I think that's what this movie is going to be about. Yeah. Him kind of completing the arc that he started all the way back at Thor 1, which was understanding the responsibility that comes with being a god. Yeah. Because he never really got to fully complete that arc. Yeah, especially because his character arc wasn't handled the best of the initial Avengers as far as Endgame's wrapping up of character arcs is concerned. Yeah. Because let's face it, uh, Tony and Cap got got the star treatment there. And yeah. Thor's character arc, while fine, like could have been a lot better, and I feel like this movie could be used to, to fix that. Yeah, this is now a Thor that has learned what it is to... Be a hero. And learn from his mistakes. To lead and to lose. Yeah. And then to also, like, triumph again. So now he's kind of on the path of, well, now I know what it's like to lose everything and all the things I thought I was. Lose it being a god when he lost Mjolnir. Lose it being a king when Asgard was destroyed and then subsequently demolished by Thanos. And then to lose as a hero when Thanos did the snap. Because... Set aside the loss of life from the snap, he definitely lost a lot. He did lose a lot. He lost his he lost his mother a couple years before the events of Infinity War, but then he lost his father, his sister that he only just knew about, and then his brother, and then his best friends in the Warriors Three and Heimdall in very rapid succession, and then <laughs> his people. Yeah. And so I feel Endgame was about Thor, like, kind of coming back to being a hero. And his interactions with Valkyrie is him realizing that he's not meant to be a leader, like he thought he was in Ragnarok. But now it's about reclaiming himself as a god. Because I feel that's the biggest thing about him, though, is that at the end of the day, Thor is the god of thunder. And the term god does carry weight. Yeah, so I do want to point out, uh, going into the second trailer, the Guardian, or before we get into the second trailer, the Guardians of the Galaxy had a lot of prominence in the first trailer, and then going into the second trailer, they're almost non-existent. Yeah, which I feel like will be an accurate reflection of the movie. As yeah, we'll like we've mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but we'll most likely not see Guardians for more than a third of the movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the Guardians are only going to be in the first third, because for one. This movie isn't their story. That's yeah. for Volume 3 and for the Holiday Special and I Am Groot. That's their story. Those projects are going to handle that. Yeah. This is more like Thor was last seen with the Guardians, so obviously we're going to show him with them, but like this is not their story. They're going to leave the story. Yeah, especially because like he is their t- or they are his ticket to get into the more cosmic ele- element of Marvel. Yeah. For uh, his uh, fourth movie. Yeah. Yeah. And so... Yeah, in terms of everything else that's going on, 
I'm really interested in seeing what Valkyrie's character arc is going to be. Yeah, cause... because the only element that we see of any interest to her character is like her being stuck in like a like a boardroom type thing where it's obviously like she's probably dealing with diplomacy as the leader of New Asgard. Yeah, she is. That's, that's the only like so... hint to, as to what her char- like what her character arc would be. So we don't have a lot to go off of. I think it's going to be that I think her arc is going to be a bit tied with Thor's in the sense that here's how it's going to work. She is going to learn to be the king of New Asgard and has to balance... Right. No, it's king. Really? All the all the promo material has her listed as king. No way. She is the king. You know what? I'll take it. She is the king. <laughs> that is, she, I'll take it. Yep. Trust me, I've watched enough of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals to see enough Thor Love and Trun- Thunder trailers to know... It's king. Okay. Everything says king. I did I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, she's considered the king of New Asgard. So what I think it is, is that her arc is going to be with dealing with being a king and dealing with earth politics, but also potentially, I think she, alongside Jane and Thor, are going to divide up the roles that Odin had, in which I think Thor will become the new Allfather, Jane will become the new god of thunder and Valkyrie will become the new leader of Asgard and all of the godly politics that come with that. Okay. I think that's where it's going to break down where Odin was all three. He was the god of war. He was the all father and he was the king of Asgard and now it's being decentralized. Yeah. Yeah. Now also one thing I've noticed is that Lady Sif has not appeared in the trailers Despite us knowing she's going to be in the movie, she didn't show up in Thor Ragnarok, and we know she was snapped during the events of uh, Infinity War. Huh. So, she's supposed to be in this movie, and I feel like we're going to see her at Olympus. Yeah. She's either going to show up at Olympus, or she's going to die to gore. Because she is also (laughs) considered a god of war. The goddess of war. Yeah, see... Oh, man, see, all the uh, Asgardian characters from the first two movies instantly vanish. She only is up there because of the fact that she made appearances in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah. So, so, like, she's a very forgettable character. I mean, we did see her again at Loki. That is true. That is true. Yeah. So, And that also, that is another reason why she vaguely sticks in my brain. Yeah, she's supposed to be in this movie. And we haven't seen her in the trailers, which I think is because her role in the movie is actually going to be pretty small. And I think it's mostly going to be that she's going to die. You think it might be more of like a like a uh, like a combination of the roles that Heimdall played in uh, Infinity War and Ragnarok, potentially? Yes, yes I that, think that's that, what it's going to be. I can be. see that, yeah. I think that's what's going to be because it doesn't look like she's on new Asgard, which would make sense because she wasn't on Asgard proper. From what we learned from directors, when Loki took over Asgard at the end of Thor the Dark World, he banished Lady Sif from Asgard. So she has been nowhere close to Asgard for years now. Okay. Now, of course, we got to talk about uh, Gore the God Butcher. I love it. Oh, yeah. One thing I really love is the stylistic choice to make it so that he desaturates everything when he's around. And the only okay. light that you see around him is the light yeah. of the gods, which is very much supposed to be about... This is very much about, like, atheistic nihilism versus, like, 
what is it, like, holy optimism, kind of. Yeah, especially because we're most likely going to see uh, some good cinematography based on that one scene where it looks like Thor and Gore are going to be facing off, which we don't really see, like, things like good cinematography being, like, at the forefront. Typically, the only thing you can compare is, like, oh, pretty opening shot, but no, like, we see an actual action scene with good cinematography. Yeah. It's like, that's pretty rare for a trailer. Yeah, and also, for one, I think this movie's going to reveal that Gore is not going to lose to Thor alone. He's probably going to lose to a combination of Thor, Valkyrie, and Jane, which is why I believe the, st- the movie's going to be about those three. Because we see Thor obviously using Stormbreaker against Gore, but in the lead-up to that, we see him holding hands with Jane, walking towards Thor, and then obviously we see Valkyrie with Zeus's lightning fighting Gore yeah. in the same battlefield, which makes me believe that the fight is gonna... The story is revolving around these three. Yeah. And which I... Which I find it very interesting that uh, Valkyrie's gonna get the uh, get Zeus's lightning bolt. Uh, l- let's be fair here. Is Zeus gonna die? Yes. Yeah. Without no, a, without a doubt. We need we, some, we, we need know. someone to get warped right now. We like, need we someone know to get warped. Fact, he is going to be on the hit list. Yes, he's dying. <laughs> um, one thing. Um, so, this is a crackpot thing, but you know how it's about Thor: Love and Thunder. Now, a lot of people are saying it's going to be about the love between Valkyrie and Jane. I've heard that a lot, especially. However, like... I've also heard that Captain Marvel and Valkyrie have a thing. Is that a more comics thing? No. No? Because in the comics, Captain Marvel is straight. Oh, yeah, that's right. No, isn't he? Isn't she with uh, Rhodey most of the time? It's not most of the time. Or, like, like, a, like a the, few times. Her most prominent consensual relationship is with Rhodey. Okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. But um, some people... So, not some people. My theory... I don't think it's going to happen. But I want to see it happen. Is that we end up with a um, a triad? No, that's not happening. I know that's not happening. This is Disney we're talking about. I know they they can't even remember how many times they've announced their first gay character. Let's be honest here. I know, <laughs> they... but part of me thinks of it just because of some of the things that are going on. Obviously, we see Thor and Jane holding hands. No, no. Disney will no. first re- reveal their first trans character before they do that. Fine. Let's be fair here. Fine. Part of me thinks it just because of the overt sexuality they gave Valkyrie, especially during Ragnarok, and you know the scene I'm talking about. Yeah. The scene with the turret. <laughs> so, yeah. But part of me thinks maybe the love, the love could be a triad. It's not gonna happen, I know. But one could hope. I mean... I'm even because because think about it. The reason why I'm saying this is because of all the characters that I could see doing it. Thor, I feel could do it because Star Lord, they're never gonna let happen because Chris Pratt is never gonna go for it. Star Lord is the one that has a triad in the comics, but Chris Pratt's never gonna go for it. So I think Chris Hemsworth's our next best option. Nah, it, it, I'm sorry to burst your bubble. That is not happening. Well, the reason why I say that is because in Loki. There was a scene that they had that they only deleted due to time constraints, which was about Loki basically abusing the TBA, and he goes through, he gets two Infinity Gauntlets full of Infinity Stones, and then he kills Thanos, and then he has a massive orgy. 
with men and women. And it ends with him, like, sitting there shirtless, like, doing, like, you know, the stereotypical, like, pose that, like, all kings do when they're bored with the but he has the two gauntlets for, and there's first and all, there's a bunch of unconscious like there's a bunch of unconscious semi-nude like men and women like draped across his throne first of all that would kill him that would kill him <laughs> not no. just one inf- infinity gauntlet two no. He has two infinity gauntlets and he That had, would kill him. He had two infinity gauntlets. He had a lot of sex. He killed Thanos and he had a lot of sex with men and women and they were going to put that but they got, they got rid of it due to time constraints. So I'm thinking maybe they could do it with Thor. Especially because this trailer did show that men were fainting when they saw him naked. That I did appreciate. I so, did like that. So, come on. Think about it. Think, <laughs> come on. Think about it. A throuple. Jane, Valkyrie, and Thor. The Thrupple. Now, I, I don't believe you that that deleted scene even exists. It does exist. Or not even as a deleted scene, but as like a concept. It, no, it exists. No, I refuse to believe it. <laughs> it does! No, mostly because, again, those would kill him. Thanos barely survived snapping. Well, you never actually see him snapping. He just has them. But you don't actually see him using them. Is that supposed to make your argument better? It's supposed to be like a... No, the no. point of the scene is to show Loki being a, just a massive hedonist. No, no, no. no. This is this is a whole vision splitting uh, Thanos in two, in two situation again. No. I mean, yes. No. This, this is not happen. This is not possible. Fine. Anyways, <laughs> do you think we're going to see any connections to uh, Moon Knight in this movie? Nah. You don't think we're going to see references to the Egyptian gods? Like, I'm not expecting Moon Knight or Khonshu to appear. No, no, no. I, I know where you're getting at here. Like, I get it. I don't think the Egyptian gods are too high on their hit list, especially considering that they mostly inhabit other planes and are only able to visit Earth through avatars. I well, don't... Well, so, at, at the same time, I agree, but in the comics, the Overvoid is in space. The Overvoid is in space. So, but based on based on how we are interpreting the show, the right. other reason why I say it is because Bost is in Thor: Love and Thunder. We gotta keep Bost alive. If any Egyptian gods are getting introduced, they're on the hit list. Let's be honest here. Well, Bost is was shown in the trailer and in pre-release footage, uh, which is why I'm wondering if we may see other Egyptian gods. Bost is considered the Wakandan god, but she's also part of the Egyptian pantheon. Yeah. And if the leaks are true that M'Baku is going to become the new Black Panther, what if it's not that he becomes the Black Panther, but he becomes the Great Gorilla? Because, remember, he worships Hanuman, which is the monkey god, not a part of the Egyptian pantheon. So yeah. what if Boss dies? And what if that death is the reason why T'Challa dies in Black Panther 2? Oh man, I really don't. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want to speculate on Black Panther 2 because, again, we've brought this up millions of times already. The movie's a mess. We the, know. The, the background, uh, the behind-the-scenes news about that movie is an absolute mess, and it's mostly... Wait, did you hear the rumors that they were going to make... There are rumors, apparently, that Riri Williams is Killmonger's daughter. 
If that ever happens, I'm gonna fucking I will walk out of the movie if they reveal that. No. I will walk out of the movie if they say Riri Williams is Killmonger's daughter for so many reasons. Not just from how a narrative and lore perspective that makes no fucking sense, but introducing your next <clears throat> prominent black character to just be related to another prominent black character despite the fact they had no relation prior. I will walk out of that fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, um, for, but um, Gore looks good. I can I can see the Patrick Bateman in his face. <laughs> you can see it too. I know you can. Yeah, but I do love the uh, prominence of the "you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself as the villain" memes just escalate. Yes. <laughs> but I'm I'm actually more looking forward to this movie after the second trailer. Because yeah. the second trailer has shown a lot. Yeah. Have that... you seen the complaints going around about how, like, his look is not comics accurate? Gores? Yeah. Listen, they're not going to Voldemort him. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's just not going to fucking happen. They're not going to Voldemort Christian Bale. Yeah. Also, because doesn't, like, doesn't he, like, look too similar to Ebony Maw as is? It, it, like, when you compare the comics look? Okay, I'm going to be honest with you. A lot of characters looks... Okay, if you look at Gore the God Butcher, you look at Ebony Maw, and then you look at the Builders, all in their comics forms, they look very similar, depending on art yeah. style. And also, we got Christian Bale. Yeah, come on. Like, come on, guys. Yeah, come on. Like, we got Batman. No, we don't have Batman. We have Patrick Bateman. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Yeah. I see what you did there. No, we got Patrick Bateman going on here. <laughs> and so, I'm excited for this movie. I'm more excited for this movie after the second trailer than the first trailer. Yeah, no, the, the second trailer more, like, leads to, like, more excitement for this movie. And also, we do get to see Jane have a more prominent role in this trailer. Because yeah. let's Because for the first trailer, she just made a, fla a flash in the first trailer. At the end. At the end of it. But, like, in the second uh, trailer, you see, oh, she's actually going to have a prominent role in this movie. Yeah, one thing that I really did appreciate is that she views that Thor and her only broke up like three years prior. But Thor sees it as eight years because Thor lived five years while she was dead. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't her being callous and him just being overly remembered. It's that she died. So from her perspective, they only broke up three years ago. But from him, who lived throughout the entire time, it's been eight years. Yeah, because what was the first indication that we got that they broke up? Was it... It was in Ragnarok. Yeah, it was in Ragnarok. Yeah, yeah, no, that that timeline adds up. Yeah. Yep. It was in Ragnarok, and... Why do I feel like it was earlier? Yeah. Do you think they're going to get back together? No. I don't think they're going to get back together. No, not not a chance. But I think they're going to say that... I think what it's going to be, it's going to be a bit of a Christine and Doctor Strange moment where in the sense that they love each other, but they're not going to get back together. Yeah. we. Let's be fair here. That movie did not handle that plot as uh, at all, well at all. Oh, it didn't. But especially I think this movie Especially because we don't get payoff in that movie for that because... Yeah, uh, Doctor Strange uh, has that moment with a different universe as Christine, so thus he doesn't have it with his universe as Christine. And then the end credits scene all just revealed his real wife, which is Clea. Yeah. His true love, which is kind of like, well, fuck that. But yeah, I think in this one we're actually going to get them 
to be like they love each other but they're not like in love yeah i think i also hope we get a bit insight as to why they broke up yeah probably like especially because we we do see instance that Thor is a little obsessive about what happened. Like, especially in Endgame, too. Yeah, but you could also say that that was because, I mean, how would you react if your first love died and it's because of a mistake you made? Oh, yeah, yeah. So I feel it was less that it was, she. it's more that she broke up with him, but more that she broke up with him and then he let her die. Yeah. I think, I want to know why they broke up because of all the MCU couples, they were the healthiest ones. They were the healthiest one at the time. Who was healthier? Who has who? Well, the only healthy relationship I could see that came afterwards is uh, Peter and Z- uh, Peter and Peter uh, and MJ. And like, that's it. Well, we they were the healthiest relationship at the time, and then afterwards we got two better uh, couples. Who's the better one? Uh, Mark, Stephen, and Layla. True. I still think they're in the unhealthy phase right now, though. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> or the... Steven and Layla. I still say unhealthy. Because okay. it's... Cause it's, he, it's <laughs> Layla likes Steven because Steven like, is like her, but also he looks like because, Mark. Because and... we've been on this rant already how many yeah. times before. How many healthy relationships are there actually in the MCU? Yeah, not many. Oh, Fitzsimmons. They don't count for this, for this segment. <laughs> they don't count for this segment. In the totality of the MCU, yes, but they don't count for the segment. In the totality, though, yes, they they are most. So definitely you're the saying I'm still right? Yes, but not for the movies. Um, well, we still included Moon Knight. Yeah, true. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean. What are you saying? They're not canon. Yes, they are canon. Then don't fight me on this. Okay, they're the best. But I was also <laughs> gonna say when we saw them in What If, they they just kind of click because in that one whatever episode where they literally just got drunk and fucked all night like <laughs> like it, like it it just was like wholesome because he then took her out on a date after well was going to take her out on a date before ultron showed up <laughs> but yeah. yeah oh got it that's another episode i really want to forget <laughs> i thought that episode was funny it was too juvenile for me what, you didn't like Frapper or Loki? Okay, everybody liked Frapper or Loki. Frapper or Loki was amazing. <laughs> Moving on. So I think with that, that pretty much wraps up all our thoughts on the Thor Love and Thunder trailers that we've gotten. Yep. Now let's go into She-Hulk. Yeah, speaking of getting laid, She-Hulk, attorney <laughs> at law. <laughs> so <clears throat> let's get the elephant out of the room. Yes, the facial CGI sucks dick. Yep. And uh, people actually went ahead and look. They actually improved it. No. Wrong. They just upped the saturation on some of the uh, trailers they gave to some media outlets. Yeah. So uh, they did not improve it at all. Yeah, it sucks dick, (laughs) but it'll probably look better come time for the TV show. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we'll most likely see a difference. Yeah. Because, I mean... I'm not saying we're going to get a Sonic situation here or anything, but we're probably going to see some impact on it. Yeah. No, it's definitely going to look better. <laughs> we're, but We're not going to see the show delayed eight months and then it comes out. <laughs> yeah. But that aside, I think this show is going to be, like I said way back when, 
when we first talked about this show, that it's going to be a crime procedural in the style of 24. Yeah, a lot, because did you hear of a recent, like, um, statement that came out from Marvel Studios? Like, we're going to be trying to experiment more. Like, we're going to start to put out content that may not, like, vibe with you as an audience. Yeah. But we're trying to reach, like, a wide, like, we're trying to, like, cover a wide area of of the uh, Mar- like content sphere as far as Marvel is concerned. Yeah. I think we are definitely, this is definitely going to be like the first experiment out of like the traditional Marvel formula. Yeah, and I think this one may be a crime procedural in the style of 24 in the sense that if this episode is 60 minutes long, then 60 minutes will have passed within the show. Give or take. Yeah. Maybe. But one thing that I definitely think this movie, not movie, this show is going to be is that the overarching plot is not what we think it is. Like, a lot of people are like, oh, Abomination's back. Like, the story's gonna be about him. No. I think this show is going to be about several superhero trials throughout the show. One is gonna involve Abomination probably getting parole. Another is gonna be about Frogman! I'm so excited to see Frogman. Oh, God. Oh, God. We're, we're gonna... Are we diving into that part of Marvel where now we're gonna have... Oh, we're gonna make Polka Dot Man a prominent character in our movie, and you have to deal with it. Listen. And somehow they pull it off. Yes, listen. <laughs> so if you don't know about Frogman, Frogman's father was a criminal that was frog-based, but his son saw the error in his ways, and so he became a superhero named Frogman. And what I think this is going to be about is I think She-Hulk is going to be defending Frogman for his vigilante efforts. Yeah. And, of course, we do also have the rumors of Jessica Jones coming back. Yes, I think she's going to be in it as a private investigator. Because what I think this is, is it's going to be cross-country. Okay. It starts on the West Coast, but I think we're going to be in multiple cities. Because, let's be honest here, Daredevil is also showing up in the show, and you can't tell me otherwise. Yeah. And, of course, I would imagine you're basing most of that off of leaks and... um, and behind the scenes stuff because a uh, lot of a I lot mean, of the tra- a lot of the trailer leads it to be like very like her discovering her powers type thing. Yeah, it's her discovering her powers. However, not just leaks, but just from what was said about the show, it doesn't seem to be about some, her some more being... behind some more behind the scenes stuff. Yeah, like because we do see like we got the container with the guy in there. Uh, that's probably going to deal a lot with the plot that you're talking about. Yeah. But a lot of the stuff that's focused, or a lot of stuff that we're probably going to see has to deal with her getting used to her powers. I think what we're going to see more than anything is about the legal aspect of being a superhero. Yeah. Like, I think Wong because... being in this show is going to be Wong testifying as, like, his parole officer, as Abomination parole officer, given from what we saw in Shang-Chi. Yeah. And also... Oh, darn, I had something in my head. Oh, okay. Um, darn, I had something in my head and I really wanted to say it. I can't remember now. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll remember later. So, and the reason why I think that is also with She-Hulk comics. She-Hulk comics, for one, are very funny. They're, co- they're comedy-based. She is the original Deadpool in that she was the first Marvel character to make fourth-wall references and jokes. Because... When her uh, her um, show was first revealed, you can see her. You, you don't want to mess with me when I'm angry. Yeah. And you said at the time that that would probably be like, oh, that's an ad for her uh, for like her legal services. Yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, 
I think it's going to be an ad for her legal services because we see she's heading up the new, uh, the new superhero, superhuman legal aspect of her law firm, which the law firm is, uh... Oh, now I remember what I was going to say. Now I remember. Yeah. So, with you saying that this is going to be diving into the legal element of Marvel, it's probably going to be fairly similar how we saw the economic element of the blip in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yes. So... That was actually an interesting point because, of course, uh, we see um, Falcon trying to go kill alone and just the blip screwed all of that up. And so it's like nothing, that's something you never even think about. Yeah. And so, like, going into this, the legal element of Marvel is something you never really think about either. Yeah, so what I think we're actually going to see are things such as... We're gonna see Frogman getting defended. We're gonna see the par- we're gonna see the parole hearings for Abomination. I think we're actually going to see She Hulk versus Daredevil on Happy Hogan's involvement in Far From Home. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that the implication was that uh, that uh, Daredevil was gonna be defending uh, Happy for. Um... What happened in No Way Home? Yeah. I also think we're going to see Jessica Jones as a private eye. I know we're not going to see it. But bring back Foggy Nelson. Please. <laughs> I know we're not going to see him. But for the love of God, please bring him back. He was Luke Cage's lawyer, after all. <laughs> but, yeah. I think we're definitely going to see a show that's more in line with, one, the legal aspect, but two sexuality because the other thing about she hulk is that she's hot but not just that she's hot she's hot and she has a body count she fucks a lot a lot there actually was a running meme within the comics that she fucks a lot that people thought that she slept with the juggernaut (laughs) then there was a convoluted storyline about how it wasn't her it was actually a version of her from a different universe that does tourism where they go from one universe to another and they sleep with people for like 24 hours it's a whole convoluted thing but see, the juggernaut thought see, he, the juggernaut thought he was sleeping with real she-hulk so he was like yeah i slept with she-hulk and all the avengers were like bro why the fuck would you sleep with his name is kane it was like why'd you sleep with kane like what the fuck and she's like i didn't sleep with him i swear to god See, yeah. I think you know where my mind instantly goes when you say that, and I'm like, okay, that is hella unethical. In terms of? In terms of sex tourism. Oh, yes. Yeah, no, that, it, that's, it, that's it, hella unethical. Multiversal sex tourism, yes. No, I, I refuse to, like... I will not show up in the show, I guarantee you, but we will be seeing She-Hulk fuck a lot. I guarantee you she's gonna fuck Matt Murdock. I guarantee you they're gonna hook up. Um, I... Honestly, I'm willing to bet against you on that. No, I think they're going to hook up. I'm, I am really willing to bet against you. Like, of course, we're not going to see anything on screen more than we saw in Eternals. Yeah. Let's be... Or, or in every, any uh, Marvel Netflix show. Yeah. Like, but no, we're, I we're, think they're going to hook up. Like, of course, we're going to see implications of this. I of think it. she's going to hook up with Daredevil. <sighs> not Abomination. But. 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 Maybe one. See, I see a lot of the trailers indicating that she's just sleeping around with random guys. See, that's the thing, though. Is that she does 
but her main draw is that she hooks up with a lot of heroes because she's canonically one of the most beautiful characters in marvel because i better fix that cgi first yeah because <laughs> because because you know how the hulk he's so big and rippling and muscly yeah well for her she's big ripply and muscly but it also means she has gigantic tits and a fat ass and that just works uh -huh. and don't don't do that that's what they made her to be that is canonically her thing i'm covering and my head in disappointment that's canonically her thing and that's why she dresses the way that she does she dresses to show her form because she's confident in her sexuality and that's a big part of her character so, and we do see elements of that. We do see like people commenting on her body when she's when she's out and about. Yes, because canonically, She-Hulk has a fat ass, and it's going to be the same in the show. It's going to happen. She's going to sleep around, and it's going to be a part of her character. And I guarantee you, in every subsequent appearance of She-Hulk that we're going to see, there probably will be a joke about whether she would sleep with X superhero. And it's not going to be like a joke and like she's a slut, but a joke as in... Okay, okay. That's that's a little better. Yeah, yes. you, you, you had me there because uh, that the b before you corrected that, that's a little problematic. No, it's not, no, it's not about that she's a slut. It's more that like, are you good enough? Are you good enough to sleep with She-Hulk? We'll see. Um, we'll see. We'll now see that we have seen out. Star Fox, I don't think they're going to go the comic route where... And for those who don't remember, it's post-credit scenes of Eternals. Just... Thanos' brother. Yeah. They slept together in the comics, but then She-Hulk found out what his superpowers were, and so she was unsure whether he used it on her, so she beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and then other people and, and we weren't even... sure about that, and so there's actually a whole arc where she has to defend him in court. Oh. And See, we brought up that his powers need to change whenever that movie came out. There actually is a comic book arc that after She-Hulk defends him and everything, he goes on a quest to get rid of that aspect of his powers. Yeah. So he can start having normal human relation... Human. Normal consensual relationships. Yeah, because... Let's just say that uh, those powers would not fly nowadays. <laughs> yeah, I think he's... I, I think they're either going to tone it down or they're going to get rid of it entirely. Because being able to manipulate people's emotions are, it's kind of, uh... Yeah. Yeah, that's... If anything, his body count is just going to be because he's very attractive, and they're just going to play on the fact that he is played by Harry Styles, who's attractive and has a legion of simps. And I think <laughs> that's going to be his aspect of the character. Yeah. But enough about him. Back to She-Hulk, who will also have a massive legion of simps. Um, one thing is that, um... She's probably not going to be a massive rage monster, like Hulk is. Yeah. She's going to be more in control of herself. But at the end of the show, I do think she will join the West Coast Avengers. Yeah. Or really found it. Because yeah. at this point, like, what members do we have? We have White Vision, and that's... I think, really? I think Kate Bishop's going to move to the West Coast. No, you don't think uh, they're going to... Well... Uh, what does she have left in New York besides Jack? That is true. Well, it's more like I'm thinking of, about them setting up the Young Avengers. Yeah, well, she'll join it. So, yes, maybe Jack will join it. I don't know. But mainly, we only got White Vision. 
Yeah, that's pretty much all we've got as far as, like, the West Coast Avengers, as far as, like, the or key maybe, members. Or maybe she'll join Wong's group that he has with Hulk and Captain Marvel. Yeah, because as far as, like, groups are concerned, considering the Avengers has been sliced in half as far as, like, membership of uh, key players are concerned, mm. like, Wong is doing all the work making a team. Yeah, it's right <laughs> now it's Wong, Captain Marvel, Hulk, Katie, and Shang-Chi. Yeah. And so I think She-Hulk's going to join that group. Because remember how many uh, members of the Avengers are left. Just like Hulk, Hawkeye's in retirement. Uh, Falcon's Captain America, but I think he still works for the government. Yeah, he's still part of the government. Uh, Scarlet Witch is temporarily dead. Dead in quotation marks. Temporarily. Doctor Strange is... He's never been a part of the Avengers, really. Yeah, Doctor Strange is currently in the Dark Dimension with his new wife. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man, no one knows he exists. Well, no one knows who what his identity is. Yeah, no one knows what his identity is. Moon Knight, absolutely not. Yeah, no, no. Uh, the Eternals, um... Half of them are... Half of them got abducted by a Celestial somehow. And the other half are in space. And the remaining are dead. And then Thor's in space. Thor's in space. So... Uh, so yeah. yeah, as far as like key groups that could be or key members of we like, got the Rody. main group, I mean, uh, he's never been a part of the Avengers, really. Yeah, he has. Not particularly. He mostly acts as like a part of as the of um, Age of Ultron. He is part of the Avengers. Okay. Remember, at the end of Age of Ultron, when they have the big oh, group that's of people, that's right. He's part of the Avengers. That's right. Yeah. 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 So yeah. Yeah, I forget. Like he's a a key like decision maker and uh, part of Civil War. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hell, he was he was one of the few people who didn't run or one of the few people who like stayed and didn't run away after the events of Civil War. So yeah. One thing um is I think so. There have been a lot of talk that Thor not Thor that Hulk is gonna leave Earth again because um. The running theory is that Hulk is going to leave. The, that She Hulk is going to take place is going to take Hulk's place on Earth while he goes to space to deal with the fact that he has kids now. Oh right, that was a thing that happened in the Planet Hulk comics, huh? Yeah, he has two kids. Oh man, but that's under the implication that um, Universal will let go of those rights. Universal doesn't own the rights to his kids. That is true, but we gotta have Hulk in there. Well, we we may not need to name the show or movie whatever he's gonna be a part of that. Yeah, because look at it. He's a part of She-Hulk a lot, but it's about She-Hulk. Yeah. So they're probably just gonna work around it. Yeah. But I think it's gonna end with uh, someone being like, "Is this uh, is this the 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 whatever? What 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 did they call him in Thor Ragnarok?" The um. Uh, what did they name him? No, they still called him Hulk. No, 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 no. I'm talking about what the people on Sakaar called him. Yeah, no. They still... They don't know his name was Hulk. No, they do cheer his name when he comes out. Did they? Yeah, they did. I feel like the Grandmaster introduced him as, uh, as someone else, though. No, I don't think so. Let me see. I'm checking. 
Um, yeah, no, I think he, I think you're mistaken on that. Oh, he was just called the beloved champion. Yeah, he was just called. Yeah, he just referred to him as his uh, champion. Yeah. 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 No, the the crowd was still che- cheering for Hulk. Okay. Yeah. So, I guess I can see that, like, that being like a way for him to leave Earth so that She-Hulk can take over. I yeah, guess I and, can see that as a and future. And so he's going to be dealing with uh, the fact that he got kids. That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Especially because so. we have a, a mostly intelligent Hulk now. Yeah, which will be interesting because I think if they're going to adapt World War Hulk, they'll probably do it with his kids considering Korg and Meek are now firmly established as Thor characters. While in the World War Hulk comics, uh, Korg and Meek were Hulk characters. And in fact, Meek is the main villain of World War Hulk. Huh. Yeah. Considering that he can't talk, he can't walk, he can't do anything except be He's wearing a dress in (laughs) Thor Love and Thunder. Okay, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah... Anyways, I'm excited for She-Hulk. I think it's going to be really yeah. interesting. I think it's going to be pretty divisive, but I think yeah. I'm still going to enjoy it. But I do think that with the lo- the um, hint of experimentation that Marvel yeah. Studios is uh, leading us to believe, I think we will see a lot of people stray away from this show. But yeah. I still think it'll be pretty good. Same here. Especially because we're still going to get fighting. Oh, yeah. Like, we saw Titania break into, like, one of the court proceedings and... She's going to fight She-Hulk, and Titania is literally her, like, biggest villain. Yeah. Also, I'm very curious to see who Megan the Stallion's character is going to be. Because we still don't know yet. So it's not Titania? No, she's not playing Titania. Okay. Because I think I missed that part of the trailer, because I think I've only watched it, like, twice. Yeah, no, Titania's in it, and it's not Megan the Stallion. Okay. I also don't know what she looks like, so... <laughs> Megan the Stallion? Yeah. Moving on. Moving on. Don't look at me like that. I will. Moving on. To, uh... So one thing I wanted... The last aspects of Marvel are just bits and pieces of things that have come out, such as... So we uh, do have a green light of another season of Daredevil, which is... Or maybe it's not another season of Daredevil, but a Daredevil project. Yeah. So we're getting a Daredevil project. Which would be interesting, considering that Daredevil's been in retirement from vigilanteism for quite a while, ever since he put... Uh, Kingpin t- in prison and, you know, Kingpin's out. Oh, shit. Breaking news. Uh, Amber Heard found liable for damages against Johnny Depp. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can talk about that later. Yeah, I didn't realize that happened today. Oh, yeah, anyways, no, that was today. That was today at, like, 3 p.m. Ah. Yeah. Okay, but anyways, we so... Bring, we can bring that up later, because I'm pretty knowledgeable on that, so... Okay, yeah, you're more knowledgeable than I am, because I kind of... Stop giving a fuck because of Oh, I, I, I never cared. Yeah. Moving on. But anyways, yeah, so we're getting a Daredevil project. Some pre-release footage, not footage, pre-release um, screenshots of Echo has come out. Oh, good, good. I, I did want to see more from her because I found, I thought her performance was really good despite the fact that, you know, she can only act in sign language. Yeah. So we got some pre-release pictures of Echo. It looks like she's on the run. Which makes sense. Yes. Most likely she would have found out that Kingpin was still alive and she didn't kill her, uh, kill him properly. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, we got some more, like, Miss Marvel stuff coming around. That I also feel is going to be a very divisive... Because, let's just face it, we're going to get very, like, uh, 
homecoming far from home vibes from it but like up to the extreme and it's probably going to be like we're going to get like a disney channel like original movie vibes but like yeah with a professional budget wait a minute wait a minute what miss marvel comes out next week no way miss marvel comes out next week wait verify that for me june 8th Wait a minute, wait a minute. We may actually have to do a segment about our theories about Ms. Marvel. Oh, man. Oh, and I let it all out too quickly. June 8th! That's next week! No way. June 8th, 2022! Okay, we, this this has turned into a... Uh... Yeah, no, no, never mind. Uh, segment, Um, what are your thoughts leading into Ms. Marvel? So I'm going to say exactly what I said before. Yeah, hold on. I didn't realize it was coming out next week. So, uh, impromptu segment here... So, like I said, we're probably going to get, like, very, like, early 2000s Disney Channel movie vibes. Which I think is more than appropriate for this but, mo- for but, this show. But, like, again, we're going to get an MCU budget with this one, so it's definitely going to be higher quality. I, th- Again, I think, reflecting off of She-Hulk, we're probably going to get similar vibes to it as to the point to where it's probably going to be pretty divisive. Because it's going to target a smaller audience. Yeah. So most likely, people probably won't like it. But that's because it's targeting a different audience. Yeah, I think the big thing about this show... Because it's going to be a high school drama. Yeah, I think the big thing about the show is that, one, it's going to tie her in with Captain Marvel and Monica Rampo, But two, I think it's going to reveal that she's an inhuman. And I feel more confident about that after Black Bolt showed up in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think that was... A backdoor, like, let us reintroduce Inhumans. Okay. Because the last we saw of them was Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. You really think so? Because, I mean, in the comics, her powers are, like, organic to her. Like Because she's an Inhuman. Because she's an Inhuman. Whereas in this show, or in the trailers, it's implied that she's got, like, magic bracelet, or bracelets that help, like, help her with her powers. So, the biggest theory that I've seen is that the bracelets actually have Terrigen mist inside. So that... And at the end, it's going to break, and she's going to be consumed by Terrigen mist, go through Terrigenesis, and then her powers are going to be... Oh, for people who haven't seen Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that is going to be... That is going to be a... Um... Oh, it's going to be a mindfuck. It's going to be a wild ride for people, for sure, because they think, oh no, she's entrapped in stone. And then all of the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans are like, oh no, this is normal, carry on. <laughs> Carry on. Don't worry, she's not being sealed by the Egyptian gods. We're good. We're yeah. good. <laughs> but yeah, Miss Mar I'm I don't know who the villain is, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. What if in crazy thought here, what if it actually was Miss Mar or Captain Marvel? She would fucking die. <laughs> she would get fucking murdered. <laughs> But, yeah, um... But, like, just for, like, an episode. <laughs> because, again, this is going to be a high school drama. We don't need to have, yeah. like, an overarching villain throughout the entirety of the show. Yeah. Especially because how many episodes is this show going to be? I think it's six. Uh, let me check real quick. Yeah. I think it's a six-episode show. Yeah, which is very weird, especially considering, like, how She-Hulk is going to be nine episodes. But I think... She-Hulk works better for nine episodes. Yeah. Given if it's going to be an anthology. <sighs> but, yeah. yeah, I think it's going to be good. But so, it's also going to de- 
detract a lot of people from it just because of the fact that, you know, yeah, it's going to be more kid-friendly. The red carpet premieres tomorrow. Wow. Fuck, I completely forgot. That. I thought the show was going to come out after She-Hulk. What I do hope is that after uh, Miss Marvel ends, I hope we do see... Um, I forget her last name, but... Um, yes. Iman's her, uh, or the name of her uh, actress, right? Uh, 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 yes, Iman Villani. I hope we get to see uh, her and uh, Xochitl Gomez, since their characters are relatively the same age. Yeah, uh, definitely going to be Young Avengers. Because yeah. I think they're friends in the comics. Yeah, because there actually have been like like uh, pictures of them hanging out and stuff. Yeah. So, hinting at future potential, uh, what's it called, uh, projects together. Oh. <laughs> what are you looking oh, at now? I just saw. I was I was just looking through just to see if. Uh, <laughs> Shit. Just to see if I missed anything, and I'm looking at the Black Panther section. Do you want me to read it? Go ahead. Okay. So, for Black Panther Wakanda Forever, here are the rumors. So, Namor has... has, It says winged feet? I think they're supposed to say webbed feet. So, most likely what it's going to... Like, if they say winged feet, most likely they're going to have, like, like, wings coming out from the back of his ankles... Like, kind of, like, fish-like. Oh! Okay, that would actually make sense. So, it's like, it, it looks like, like, winged feet would probably be the best way to describe it, but most likely what they're implying is, like, fins coming out from the back of his ankles. Yes. Um, so, before I get to the ridiculous one, the Savage Land is um, introduced, which in the comics, the Savage Land is a piece of Antarctica that was not affected by the meteor that killed the dinosaurs, so there's just a fuck ton of dinosaurs. Okay, the MCU has crazier stuff than that. Let's and look. the point of it being there is that Riri Williams is going to find vibranium there. Which, I'm fine with. I mean, yeah, uh, the uh, what vibranium meteor could have chipped off and some of it could have gone to Antarctica, sure. But the ma- uh, Val is supposed to appear, possibly setting up her role in Ironheart, which, whatever. But the thing that got me, that made me stammer, Shuri raises T'Challa's son in Puerto Rico. Is what? That has been a that actually has been a massive thing ever since the begin ever since Chadwick Boseman's death, everyone kind of thought that we were just gonna get a T'Challa son, like T'Challa's kid. Again, this movie's gonna be a mess. Yeah, this movie's gonna be an absolute mess. Yeah, it is. But I was because I was looking for Miss Marvel stuff, and I saw that show up, and I was like, I'm gonna fucking kill myself. Oh my god, but yeah, um, back to back to what will probably be a better project, Miss um, Marvel. I I'm expecting Shazam vibes. Yeah, again, like Disney Channel, the Disney Channel original movie vibes with Shazam is what I'm expecting, and I think it's gonna be pretty cool, especially because yeah. she's a massive dork. Yeah, yeah. So, fucking Christ, it's coming out next week. Oh my god, we're gonna have two... We're actually gonna be reviewing Star Wars and Marvel Disney Plus shows for once at the same time. Which goes into our next segment, because this also came up out of nowhere. The fact that we got Obi-Wan Kenobi... 
Yes, so we have Obi-Wan Kenobi. And we've got three episodes to review. I don't want to review them yet. I want to go over Star Wars Celebration first. Okay. So Star Wars Celebration is obviously massive Star Wars convention where they revealed a lot of things. Such as, and I want to start out with this one, Andor. So let me get my opinions out of the way first. I don't care about this. I don't care about this at all. So, (laughs) like... Let's be fair here. The characters in Rogue One were nothing. Do you remember anything about Jin Erso? No, you don't. Wait, yes, I do. No, you don't. Yes, I do. No, she is not a compelling character at all. You guys are the Rebellion, right? So I rebel. <laughs> oh, yeah, because that was so such a good line of dialogue. Oh, yeah, and what about Cassian? Uh, well, I mean, they did, they did actually cut it from the movie because it was so fucking bad. <laughs> No, so I want to say this. So this but, show, and, but and then you've got Cassian Andor, who's supposed to be the lead of this show. What do you remember about him? I don't know. The he, fact that he was in this fight since he was six years old. <laughs> well, that's the thing. The show is the show has been greenlit for two seasons already. Okay. So it's going to be a two-season show and two seasons alone, and it's supposed to take place over a five-year time span. The first one, the first season is going to take place across one year. The second season is going to take place across four years. And the ending of the show is supposed to lead into his last mission that we see in Rogue One. Okay. And so the, so the show is going to be about basically the end of the Clone Wars from Cassian's perspective and when the Empire came to his planet. And it's about him basically living... During the birth of the Empire. Yeah. And seeing its fascistic repression first and foremost. And the second season is going to deal with him discovering the Rebellion and becoming one of their best spies. Because ultimately what this show has to do is it has to lead up to uh, him taking part in the Rebellion up to the point where he steals the Death Star plans. Yes. So that's ultimately what this show is going to entail. But I hate to say it, nothing that the trailer showed me really intrigued me well i'm actually intrigued a lot by it for multiple different reasons for one they're actually showing an era of star wars that we really rarely got to see the only era that's covering this is currently bad batch which is basically the early imperial era where the clones were still the primary fighting force yeah because especially like it didn't take them long to switch to to stormtroopers really because we will cover that in our bad bad section so i don't want to go too deep in that part okay but we're covering an early era but also i really like how this is going to work because i very much feel this show is going to show exactly how fascism is a cancer and how it destroys and deteriorates communities and turns people against each other because that's what the show is going to be about, and that's why I'm interested in it. I'm very much interested in seeing what will drive a single person from being a normal galactic citizen to being a rebel under the boot of imperial fascism. Yeah. And I think Cassian Andor is the perfect person to do it with, because he talks about how it wasn't all sunshines and rainbows working for the rebellion. He did things that he regrets, which I think is very realistic of how real rebellions work. Not all rebel leaders or prominent rebels in human history were good people, and not all of them were morally upstanding people that did only the best things. Some of them did a lot of fucked up shit. And so because of that, 
I'm very interested in seeing how this will play out. I'm interested not just of seeing how the world will, how Cassian will become radicalized, but I also think it's very good for lore building, for world building. Because yeah. I feel one thing that has always been missing in between the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy is really what the beginning of the empire was like for your average citizen and how you could have so many people either join the empire or be so vehemently against them because in rebels we get the formation of the rebellion correct so rebels takes place five years before a new hope so it's less about the formation of the rebellion it's about the formation of the unified rebellion rebels is about rebels starts with just different cells different rebel cells all cropping up and their eventual unification into one rebel alliance that's why it's called the rebel alliance it's an alliance of different rebel cells but we never got to see the real formation of what leads people to create a rebel cell we're seeing it in bad batch and we're going to get to that when we get to our bad batch section but i'm really interested in seeing it in we saw it a bit in solo as well but I want to see it from someone that was very much entrenched in the rebellion like Cassian. Yeah. And that's why I'm actually really interested. Because this show is very upfront about what it's going to be. And they're very much told you what it's going to be about. This is about Cassian becoming a kid. Going from a kid to a man. Going from someone who lived for, in a world that wasn't affected by the Empire. To being completely taken over by the Empire. And his radicalization up to his final mission. And I think that's why I'm interested in it. Okay. As I think it's very it's very fertile ground for storytelling. Yeah. See, I don't know. Just the trailer, it just... I don't know. It was just a bunch of nothing to me. Yeah, I feel like they're definitely holding back a lot. But from what I saw, I was very interested. Like, seeing clones and the LAATs was something that really took me by surprise. But I'm really interested in seeing it now. Okay. So the next thing that yeah. they have announced is um, John Watts has a new show called Star Wars Skeleton Crew. And so he will. So it's John Watts and the um, who's going to be a part of it? Um, Jude Law. He played Gon Rog in Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah, I remember him. Yeah, and so basically it's going to be. The best way to describe it is that Skeleton Crew is going to be the Goonies, but for adults. As in, the protagonists are a, are children, but the show is not for children. Hmm. And I believe it's taking place in the time of the Empire as well. Let me just double check. Um, yeah. It, I doesn't actually it doesn't say it does take place it's that these kids are lost and they're on a journey to get back home which screams to me that these kids got stuck on got um did a random jump into hyperspace and they don't know how to get back home hmm. so yeah skeleton crew looks to be pretty interesting now is it going to be just random kids or are they going to be force sensitive kids Let's be honest here. It's Star Wars. One of them is bound to be Force-sensitive. Let's be honest here. Yeah. You don't think it's going to be like Younglings escaping Order 66 at all? I don't think so. No? Okay. Because yeah. that could also be interesting. Yes. 
it would be interesting. Um, so another thing is that, um, so this hasn't been fully shown off yet, but they did show trailers for the Mandalorian season three and for Ahsoka. Yeah. And so I have actually seen people describe what the trailers are about. So I'm going to describe it to you. Okay. Mandalorian season three is going to be about Jin's journey to Mandalore to repent. At the, you saw what happened during the Book of Boba Fett where he was kicked out of the Keepers of the Watch because he took off his helmet and the only way to atone is to go under the living waters of Mandalore. This is about him doing that. Also, it's about the upcoming Mandalorian Civil War. Bo-Katan is very salty in this show that Din has the Darksaber because it means that she cannot be Mandalore and she cannot unite the tribes of Mandalore. So this is very much setting up uh, the gigantic Mandalorian Civil War. We also saw the Doctor from Mandalorian Season 1, the one that did all the clonings, which we saw was the implications of Supreme Leader Snoke and Palpatine back in Mandalorian Season 1. He's returning, meaning that we're definitely going to see some First Order origins as well in this show, because it's now been established throughout the new canon the First Order and the Final Order has been Palpatine's plan all along, and the hints to them existing has gone as far back as Star Wars, the Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, which takes place five years before Kenobi. Okay. So, yeah. So okay. Mandalorian Season 3 is going to be about that. It has Grogu and Din, and it's mainly focused on them on Mandalore. We also will see um, his friend, the black guy, whose name I'm forgetting... He's there. He's going to be in the show. Oh, the guild leader? Yes. Yeah. Uh, no Kara. <laughs> no Gina Carano. But um, Paz Vizsla <laughs> will return. I've, I've heard rumors that they're trying to get her back. They're not going to bring her back. You don't think so? You don't think enough time's passed for people to forget? They're not going to bring her back. <laughs> because the rebel character that they're focusing on is the pilot that we saw. Okay. That we last saw back during Book of Boba Fett. He's returning. So I think he's going to be the rebel character of focus, or at this stage, it's new republic character of focus. Yeah. So he's going to be there. Paz Vizsla is returning with his minigun, in fact. So he will be returning, and it's mainly going to be about a fight on Mandalore. Okay. And so that was uh, yeah because Mandalorian season three. Ever since season one, that's been or more beginnings of season two. That's more have been what the show has been setting up for. Yeah, and Book of Boba Fett also helped with that a lot. Yeah. Where I think Book of Boba Fett showed us the new king of Mandalore. Yeah. Yeah. As for Ahsoka, the Ahsoka show is very much supposed to be a sequel to Star Wars Rebels. And certainly, <sighs> saying for the thousandth time, watch Rebels. You're going to need to because this show is going to deal with... Also, you need to watch Clone Wars because this show is going to hop around the time. So what the show is going to be, from what I've heard, is that the trailer has shown multiple things. One, it's going to show Ahsoka's battle with the seventh brother, which is something that happened in the Ahsoka novel, which takes place after the events of Clone Wars Season 7. It's also gonna sh it also showed glimpses of her, you know, fighting that lady back in Mandalorian Season 3, Season 2, where she was looking for Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yeah. And it's also showed a shot-for-shot -shot recreation of the final scene of Star Wars Rebels, where Sabine Wren, who is now in live action, is showing up alongside Ahsoka to begin the search for um, Ezra Bridger, 
who disappeared at the end of Star Wars Rebels with Grand Admiral Thrawn. <laughs> they have to, they have a lot of work to do to, to um, redeem his character. Grand Admiral Thrawn? No. Ezra? Yeah. People don't like him. <laughs> no. People that haven't watched Rebels don't like him. People that have watched Rebels think he's a good character. People that haven't watched Rebels think he's just a whiny kid. But by the end of Rebels, he's more than he's more than capable, and he's most definitely a wise person who, at that point, by the end of Rebels, was going to probably become a Jedi Knight. Okay, I'll take your word on it. You need to watch Rebels, I swear to fucking God! No. Yes! You're not going to understand this show. This show is literally a sequel. <laughs> the plot literally hinges on the end of Rebels. The characters... The, also, we see, uh, we're seeing live-action variants of every member of the Ghost Crew. Hera, Chopper, um, Zeb. We're most likely going to see Agent Callus as well, who in Rebels was an Imperial commander who defected to the rebellion after being saved and realizing the error of his ways and that you know committing a genocide was actually pretty fucking horrible he has a whole character arc about how he feels incredibly guilty for perpetrating genocide and such and yeah he's probably going to show up in the show too and we're also probably going to be introduced to Hera and Hera and Kanan's child who is most definitely force sensitive so that's going to be the Ahsoka show and so there were trailers for that very interesting since you didn't watch Rebels, you kind of there's no emotional pull for you in any of these characters that I've mentioned. Yeah, like like I know who uh, Kanan and Hera are. I know that at yes. least Sabine. She um she's the Queen of Mandalore. No, no, she is a Mandalorian who used to be an Imperial, but then defected. She joined the Ghost Crew, and she so. She technically is the ruler of Mandalore in the sense that she beat Gar Saxon in a duel for the Darksaber. And you know Mandalorian tradition, those who beat the previous wielder of the Darksaber in combat is the ruler of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. Mind you, she got the Darksaber from Maul. Darth Maul. And it's a lot of explaining to do to explain how that got to where it is because that involves watching Clone Wars, something you haven't done. So there's only one Darksaber, correct? Yes. Okay. The Darksaber that appears in Clone Wars is the same one that appears in Rebels, is the same one that appears in Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. It's the same Darksaber. Okay. It's just been passed down by numerous users. But to understand its full genealogy, watch Clone Wars and Rebels, goddammit! Because her role is probably her role in Ahsoka is predicated on that, and I still theorize she's going to appear in Mandalorian Season 3, considering she was once a wielder of the Darksaber. And not just that, she is probably the second most proficient wielder of the Darksaber, considering she was trained by a Jedi into how to use the Darksaber, unlike Din, who was not trained how to use it. Mm. She was trained by a Jedi on how to use the Darksaber. Okay. So, yeah. Next up, we have Jedi Star Wars Jedi Survivor, which is taking place five years after Jedi Fallen Over. Fallen Order, meaning it's running concurrently with Kenobi. Yeah. So that one's, that one's the newest uh, video game reveal, correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. And so that one most definitely is going to follow Cal Kestis. And basically, I guess, 
him being hunted down by the Inquisitors and Vader, because that's how it ended. He was being hunted down by Vader and the Inquisitors. Some people believe that Cal Kestis is going to make a live-action appearance in Kenobi because of the fact that Star Wars Jedi Survivor is taking place concurrently with Kenobi, and it deals with Inquisitors and Vader as well. So some people think so. So, yeah, it was just like a teaser, but pretty interesting. Um, I never got to play Fallen Order because I don't own a console that plays Fallen Order, but from what I've seen of it, it looks really interesting. It deals a lot with the Inquisitors, how they were formed, as well as aspects of Order 66 that took place that we don't necessarily see, such as how some Force users were not killed but captured and brought to the dark side to become Inquisitors, as all Inquisitors are former Jedi. So, yes. So, Jedi Survivor. And before we get to Kenobi, the last big thing that came out was Star Wars Bad Batch Season 2. Now, I'm really hyped for this. Yeah, you, you definitely have to take the lead on this one. I'm really hyped for this for multiple reasons. One, we are seeing the return of Commander Cody. Commander Cody is a character whose fate has always been ambiguous post-Revenge of the Sith. In the Expanded Universe, he got relegated to becoming a trainer, and he vehemently hated all recruits. He thought they were inferior to the Jango Fett clones, and he thought the Empire was deg degraded as a result. Seeing him in this show should definitely be interesting because the end of Bad Batch is, well, the destruction of Kamino and its cloning facilities and the beginning of the transition from clone troopers to conscripted soldiers. So seeing Cody involved probably means we're going to see that aspect of his story. We also saw the Batch obviously returning, but this time it looks like they're going to be one of the first rebel cells. We kind of got hints to that, that they were going to be that back in season one, because clone Captain Rex, who, once again, is my favorite clone trooper of all time, one of my favorite Star Wars characters of all time, back during season one of Bad Batch, looked to have already been starting his Sparks of the Rebellion. He teams up with the Martez sisters, which are... They're hard to explain because they're from Clone Wars season seven, and you didn't watch that. But they are characters from Clone Wars Season 7 that appeared in Bad Batch, and it was revealed at the end of their episode that they are taking orders from Rex. This should be interesting because there is a gap of time between Rex trying to start a rebellion to him being someone that seems disillusioned with the idea of rebellion come rebels, to which he then inevitably will join the rebels, and he ends up being part of the rebels all the way up until the Battle of Endor, in which he is present for the destruction of the Death Star. Part 2. But Bad Batch seems to be very interesting as it's going to be dealing with all the drama that the clones are dealing with, both as um, ones that have defected from the Empire, as well as those currently in the Empire, but now having to deal with their them being replaced by conscripted soldiers. That's a huge part of Bad Batch Season 1, because um, Moff Tarkin thinks that clones are too expensive and they are cutting costs. The reality of the situation, as revealed in many aspects of the Star Wars canon, is that Palpatine is cutting costs for the Empire because he's siphoning funds for the First Order. And the, or you mean the Final Order? Both. Yeah. It's both First Order and Final Order. He's siphoning funds, so yes. The clones are getting out because they're too expensive, but the expenses is because, yeah. 
but I'm really excited for this. We also get to see the return of Gunji. Gunji is a Wookiee youngling who appeared back in Star Wars The Clone Wars, who was being hunted down by General Grievous, who was last saved by the space pirate Hondo Onaka, one of the funniest characters in Star Wars The Clone Wars. And it looks like he has survived Order 66, and it seems the Bad Batch are going to be interacting with him, which should be pretty interesting. We're going to see what happens to him, because we don't know what happens. And... There's just a lot there. It's good to see Omega again. And for you that doesn't know, Omega is technically Boba Fett's sister. As hmm. she is a the only female Fett clone. Oh, I guess they have to have one of them. Yeah, she is the only female Fett clone. So she is technically not just every clone's sister, but more importantly, she is Boba Fett's sister. And hmm. she actually, funnily enough, has interacted with Fennec Shand. But Fennec Shand didn't know that she was a clone, a Fett clone, so it would make sense why she doesn't bring him up, bring her up in Book of Boba Fett, because she didn't know that Boba Fett's sister was that girl that she saved all those years ago. Yeah. Yes. Also, Cad Bane was involved in that plotline as well, and we saw Cad Bane back in Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. So... A lot of these projects are coming out, and they're really exciting, and I'm really excited to see it, and this is all the more fuel to yell at Sovereign to watch Star Wars The Clone Wars and Rebels! Alright. But now, with all of that Star Wars actually, celebration shenanigans out of the way, let us get to the newest Disney Plus series that has come out. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now let's start with episode one. I feel like episode one, one was pretty good. Episode one, in my opinion, was great. So, the biggest thing, of course, trying to establish Obi-Wan in an element where he's completely cut off from any of his connections, cut off from his need to use the Force, and just show him watching over Luke. Yes. But not just him watching over Luke, him using his duty to, watching, to watch over Luke as a crutch. He's afraid. Throughout the show, and we'll see this in many different aspects of the show, but even in episode one, Obi-Wan has a lot of PTSD from from the events of the end of the Clone Wars. From yeah. his betrayal of from his betrayal by Commander Cody during Order 66 on Utapau, from Anakin's fall to the dark side, seeing him kill younglings through the temple security, to the duel on Mustafar, to Padme's death, and even flashbacks to the death of Qui-Gon back in The Phantom Menace, Obi-Wan has a lot of PTSD. He yeah. feels immense amounts of guilt of what he amounts to be his biggest failure. He failed not just Anakin, but he failed the promise that he made to his master to properly train him. He yeah. feels that he's failed in a lot of ways and that he didn't keep Padme safe. And he failed in the sense that the Republic and the Jedi lost. They were betrayed by the clones and the Sith won. He is now in exile, and he is now a very bitter, scared man. Yeah, especially because, like, when a fellow Jedi comes to... Uh, Nari, his name is Nari. Comes to um, ask for his aid, he just immediately rejects him, which is, of course, against his character, say, before the fall of the Empire, but now... Before the fall of the Republic. Or, before the fall of the Republic, right. And now, he's just gone through so much that, yeah... Yeah, he's not willing to help at all. Yeah, and it's very emblematic because we see 
several aspects of how he's not going to help and how it has negative consequences. Him not revealing himself, one, led to an innocent woman getting her arm chopped off by the Inquisitors. Owen nearly losing his life due to Obi-Wan not coming forward, which the only reason he was saved was because of the fifth brother, Owen being saved. And Nari and his inevitable lynching by the Inquisitors. Yeah. Where he was lynched because Obi-Wan did not help him. And, yeah, it very much shows that the saying is true. Injustice anywhere means there's no justice anywhere. Like, injustice anywhere means there's no justice. But also, like, your inaction does have consequences. Yeah. And especially in... Basically, if you haven't noticed already, this series is a massive allegory to the Holocaust, but more specifically, the Brika, which is basically... Brika being Hebrew for the fight, which is basically the post-Holocaust issues that the Jewish Europeans had to deal with at the fall of Nazi Germany, the advent of the Soviet Union taking over all of Eastern Europe, the rest of Western Europe not knowing what to do with the Jews and more like not wanting to deal with them, and so all of their trials and tribulations afterwards. This is what this series is an allegory for. And, um... Those will become much stronger when we discuss episode three. Episode two and three. Yeah. For the Brika part, but yes. But, um, yeah, all credit to Ewan McGregor. Like, he, like, did you hear that he actually struggled to gain his um, Obi-Wan voice back? Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, because, I mean, it's fairly different from the way he talks normally. Yeah. Like, he actually had to go back, rewatch the prequels, and actually study how he, he, uh, acted beforehand to regain his obi-wan voice yeah and yeah. i mean it makes sense i mean and not only that but able to perform it in a manner to where yeah it shows like he's gone through some shit yeah but he's doing it really well and episode one was really good especially showing i loved how they showed the same scene three times showing just how much of a grueling soul-crushing experience he is just living working this yeah just soulless job on the outskirts of Moss Eisley. Yeah, yeah. I did not expect what the plot was going to be at all. Yes, yeah, seeing... Because seeing, like, Leia actually play a part in the plot was, like, not something I was expecting. I mean, mind you, I didn't expect this show to come out last week, so oh, there's that. <laughs> what? I did not expect this show to drop last week, so... Like, this entire yeah. show caught me by surprise. The fact we have to review three episodes in one se- in one uh, episode. We're reviewing basically half the season. Yeah, because it's going to be six episodes long. Yeah, we're already halfway through. And so, yeah, Leia showing up in the show and being one of the main characters is something that was expertly hidden. Yeah. We had no frame of reference that Leia was ever going to be in the show. But here we are. She's in the show, and she is, in my opinion best like the best if the second best if not the best character in the show yeah um the actress that plays her played um the young girl known as girl in the movie bird box did you see it yeah 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 well you remember girl that's the girl that's playing leia and she's yeah. doing a phenomenal job she's killing it in this show i mean yeah does it <laughs> feel like she's force sensitive when they introduce her character in this show yes being able to like 
deduct people's emotions. Yes, that is a massive aspect of the Force, is yeah. the ability to dress... Is the ability to sense emotions, like, a lot of emotions, and her ability to completely tear her cousin to shreds on an emotional level by just calling out every aspect of their character and their faults is most definitely attributed to her Force sensitivity. Yeah. Because only someone high, like highly attuned to the Force at her age, can be able to make such mature and astute observations. Yeah. And it makes sense, especially because she was never trained on the Force, so her abilities never grow past that. Yeah, she like, doesn't get trained until because, after Return of the Jedi. Yeah, I mean, hell, Return of the Jedi is the next time we see her Force abilities. Yeah. Yeah, because she's able to sense the connection between her and Luke. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the next time we see her Force sensitivity. So right now, seeing her Force sensitivity is really good. It's also great seeing that she is, one, the sarcastic person that we know and love that we saw back in the original trilogy. <laughs> she yep. was always sarcastic. But also that she's very much like her father and that she's very adventurous. Yep. And also like her brother and that she doesn't like being held down. Just like how Luke, how we briefly see Luke during this show. And... Um, He's the same way. Doesn't like being tied down, constantly running away to imagine being a fighter pilot. She's constantly running away, imagining what it's like to just explore space. Yeah. Yeah. Easy, easy connection to make there because she's out listing like, the names of, of freighter craft yeah. coming in and out of Alderaan. And so. Yeah. Also, yep. Jimmy Smith's return to play as Bail Organa. And yeah, he's killing it, as usual. Yeah. I love that he actually straight up went to Moss Eisley and was like, bro. <laughs> that, like, yeah. <laughs> because, of course, Obi-Wan rejects the um, the mission to rescue uh, Leia. And so he's like, uh, no, this is my daughter. You're doing this. Yeah, and it's not just <laughs> that. But it's also like, bro, you made a promise to their mother that you would protect her. And you're currently running away. Yeah. You're currently running away. You're using... The fact that you have to protect Luke as cover for the fact that you don't want to do anything anymore because you're afraid. And yeah. I like that Bale called him out. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that um, the criminals that um, captured him is um, flee from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. So, yeah. Um, also, we got cameos from R2-D2 and C-3PO in the show. Yeah, somehow. Somehow we got those in there. I mean... Makes sense that the last time we did see them was them being left with Bail Organa back during uh, Re Revenge of the Sith. Yeah. So yeah, we saw them. Probably going to be the last time we see them for a while. Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah, but they did get Anthony... I know, it is Anthony. Anthony Danos, he did come back to play 3PO. Yeah. So they somehow find a way to keep bringing him back in. Yep. <laughs> Despite the fact that he literally holds his character on a holy grail. Yep. <laughs> I, I never understand it, but uh, sure. Yep. Sure. C-3PO is going to be the one that changes entertainment for, for generations to come. Listen, 3PO, listen, 3PO is a legend. But yeah, so episode one, in my opinion, was a really good... Oh wait, we haven't even talked about the, the villains of episode one. Yeah. Reva, the third sister. And... Uh, Honestly, shout outs to that actress because uh, Moses, she, Moses Ingram, because she is she is going through a lot of racist attacks right now. Oh yeah, of course, because you know the fan the fandom menace. Yeah, the fandom menace is a they're a they're a special bunch. Yeah, but 
despite them, um, yeah, no. She's but, fucking like, amazing. Like, she's definitely, like, said that she's gotten support from fans trying to, like, counteract the racist attacks she's gotten. And, um, good on them, honestly. Yeah, no, because... she's, she's fucking killing it. Um, I am convinced that she is the youngling that we see in the opening trailer. Not the, the opening scene, when we see Over Order 66 happen... Specifically, Operation Nightfall in the oh, Jedi mean, or in the Jedi Temple. Oh, you mean uh, like um, the the kids walking down that bridge above the? Um, yes, the... I believe she was one of them. Okay, yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. Also, can we talk about that opening scene and how it was so good? Oh yeah, no, that scene was actually really good. Like the the like you can feel how tense that scene was. Yes, and also very topical, unintentionally given um the recent events involving children and being shot at. Uh huh. Uh, we will yeah, be talking yeah. about that later, but um, it was very topical. That, that, that is a connection, I guess. It was very topical. One of the many topical issues that this series actually does cover. And so... I don't know. Star Wars is only political when they put a girl in the lead. Yeah, obviously Reva was political, but not, you know, the fact that this is an entire allegory to the post-Holocaust struggles of the Jewish people. No, that can't be it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you. But... I'm, but yeah, it's really, really. She's really well done. I can, you can tell her anger, and hatred. Oh yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, the Grand Inquisitor has returned, which is really good. Alongside the Fifth Brother, being played by Sung Kang. And if you don't know, Sung Kang played. Um, what is it, Wan? I think it's Wan. He played. Um, I believe it's Wan in the Fast and the Furious movies. Is it? No, it's not Juan. It's, um... Han! Fuck! Han. Yes, he played Han in Fast and Furious. Um, including the best one, Fast and the Furious uh, Tokyo Drift. The best Fast and Furious movie. Ah, uh, yes, the one where it takes place in Tokyo, but they have no Japanese people. Wait, what? I think that's true, right? No. Did, what? Where did you get that from?! Or in the as the, some of the lead characters. Oh, yeah, no, yeah. as a <laughs> yeah. lead character, like no lead characters are Asian. <laughs> y- like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, didn't they decide? Oh, this one. Oh wait, no, it's the wait. Is Tokyo Drift the second movie? Third. Third. Okay, no, no. Then second movie is what I'm thinking of with what what I was about to say. Never mind. No, in Tokyo Drift, the main character is. Uh... Like a good old boy from Texas. Exactly. Is a good old boy from Texas. Um, fucking. (laughs) Oh my god, who was it? Uh, let me let me look that up really quick. I have to look it up really quickly. I I have to. (laughs) Hold on one second. How did we get on this? (laughs) Because Sun Kang was in Fast and Furious, and he's also the fifth brother. Yes. Um. So it had. Um. Let me see. So we had. Um. Yes. So we had a Sean Boswell. The good old boy from Texas. Bow Wow, who played his... <laughs> <laughs> Bow Wow, who played as a Twinkie, who was <laughs> the black of the resident black friend. Except his justification from being in Japan at the time is that his, uh, his family is a military family. Then we had um, um, uh, Natal- <laughs> Natalie Kelly playing Neela, who... Um, no, she's um, she's a Peruvian. She's a Peruvian woman that was 
born in Austria. She was a per- she's a Peruvian woman of Australian nationality. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But um the main villain, he was Japanese. Okay, so none of the protagonists. Yeah, no 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 no. None of the protagonists were Japanese. Oh, that 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 feels very good for a for a, a movie that takes place in Tokyo. Yeah, none of the protagonists are Japanese. All the antagonists are even Sung Kang. Sung Kang's Korean. <laughs> <laughs> the only <laughs> I hate to say this, but in Tokyo Drift, the only Asian character that is considered a good guy is Han, and Han, the Sung Kang's Korean. Anyway, Anyways, anyway, Sung Kang, he plays as the fifth brother who he's playing him really well because the fifth brother is basically the primary antagonist of season two of Star Wars Rebels. So this is very much showing how, yeah, he's been gunning for the top position of the Inquisitor since way back when. And um, he's a former Jedi. We also got the fourth sister who is new. She has actually never been seen before. All we know is that in the comics, she gets her armor stolen by a rebel who then pretends to be her. Okay. And then obviously the Grand Inquisitor, who used to be, who first debuted in Star Wars The Clone Wars as a Jedi Temple Guard, one that arrested us, the one that provided security over Ahsoka when she was arrested on conspiracy and terrorism charges. Yeah, because. That was before she defected from the Jedi Order, right? Yes, I believe. It's actually theorized that Ahsoka's trial and subsequent acquittal led to the disillusionment of the Grand Inquisitor as a Jedi Temple Guard, and thus allowed him to fall to the dark side where he was then recruited by Palpatine, and now is the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. But yes, he is a Jedi Temple Guard. He's appeared back in Star Wars The Clone Wars, he is in Rebels, and now here he is in this show. And... Honestly, he channeled Hans Gruber from fucking Inglorious Bastards so hard. Like, you know the scene I'm talking about, right? Uh, remind me. I can think like a Jew. Yeah. He, he had that. He had that so hard in this show with how he talked about the Jedi hunt themselves and how. Yes. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I see where, you, where you're pulling from. Exactly, which, once again, furthers the allegory that the Jedi are Jews and that the, and that the Inquisitors are the Kapos and that the Empire at large is like Nazi Germany. Yeah. A quick question. When was the Siege of Mandalore again? I'm, I'm just so I can... The Siege of Mandalore happens concurrently with the Battle of Coruscant. Okay, so that was early, early, early. In, no. In... The end of the Clone Wars, the Battle of Coruscant, in Revenge of the Sith. Oh, okay, okay. It goes concurrently with that. It, it actually, the entire Siege of Mandalore begins at the battle begins at the same time as the Battle of Coruscant, and the Siege of Mandalore ends right around the time that Gen, that Obi Wan defeats General Grievous. Okay, so could you also compare like? Um... Like, the genocide of Mandalorians to, like, the genocide of uh, Jedi, in a way? No, because the Mandalorians were not genocided in the Siege of Mandalore. Oh, no, they, their land was just taken. 
Yes, but also the Siege of Mandalore was an extension of a Mandalorian Civil War as Bo-Katan was on the side of the clones and the Jedi and her faction. Okay. She was she led a group of Mandalorians alongside another Mandalorian named Fen Rao who helped in the Siege of Mandalore fighting against Maul's Mandalorians. Okay, I just had questions about like what happened during the Siege of Mandalore because yeah, no. I haven't watched it at all. So I just, wanted, of, I just wanted to know like what were the political implications of it. And this, it... The political implications of the Siege of Mandalore was basically that man, it allowed for Mandalore to be easily occupied by the Empire because Order 66 happened very soon after the victory. So it's more like they incited a civil war, which thus made it unstable and thus allowed them to take over that land. Oh, I want to say they incited the Civil War, considering oh, but, but, the Civil War was incited I, by Maul but years you get, prior. You get what, uh, like, like similarities I'm trying to the, get. The culmination of the conflicts on Mandalore between the Death Watch and Maul, and then inevitably the Republic, culminated in enough instability that once the Siege of Mandalore ended, the Republic presence there was more than enough to completely take over the remaining Mandalorians. Okay. And in fact, it's actually very funny... Maul's Mandalorians ended up becoming the ones most aligned with the Empire and taking power. Alright. Yeah. But, um... I just had to ask those questions because, like, like, we're talking a lot about the political implications of what's going on in these shows, and I'm like... Yeah. I actually do have, like, questions about that considering I haven't watched the show yet. Yes, you should watch it to so, fully understand But, uh, getting back to uh, episode one, any other thoughts that you had? Um... I just really love seeing how broken Obi-Wan is. Um, I love Tika. <laughs> Robbing him and selling him back his own parts. Oh my god. Anytime Ewoks are on screen, they're That's gold. not an Ewok. Oh, not Ewok. I'm sorry. God damn it. How did, I screw... how did I screw that up? How they're... did I screw up Jawas? They're god... Jawas. God damn it. Yes. See... But... I'm, I'm surprised we didn't see any Tusken Raiders on, on there, honestly. Well, this is because it takes place in Mos Eisley. That's true, that's true. Yeah, the Jawas have a bigger presence in Mos Eisley. I liked how they were, like, they fucking were, um... They, they folded up their dice game when the Imperial showed, showed up. But, yes, on to episode two. So, this is where yeah. we had disagreements on... Off, uh... Off, uh, uh stream... But uh, I think I can more accurately describe what m what my disagreements were with this episode. Because this episode, with episode one, I would give that like a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I gave episode a 7 out with of 10. With this one, I would go down to a 6, and I think I can word my disagreements with this better. Okay, I so episode two was about Obi-Wan going to Dayu, which is very topical because Dayu is inspired by Hong Kong, and so... The concept of no information in or out, very, very topical. So, Talking about the current situation going on in Hong Kong in present day. So when I watched this episode, Obi-Wan goes in, he gets the information he needs, he goes rescues Leia immediately in episode two, and then his journey is to escape there and get, get over uh, off, off planet. So my disagreements were that the impediments he faced weren't what i was expecting yeah so like like i had a discussion with shiny off screen i wouldn't say like it felt convenient but looking back on it maybe just the impediments weren't as big like what i was expecting obi-wan to face yeah so for me the impediments that he faced 
were things that I expected, knowing that his journey in this episode would be very similar to that of the Jews on the Brika. When we met um, Haja, which is Kumail Nanjiani's character, who is basically a con man in the sense that he pretends to be a Jedi and he provides people with safe passage to like planets away from Imperial control, or at least lacks Imperial control, like um, Corellia. Basically, his character is that he represents the fact that people that are a part of these things are not all good people. Some of them do it because they know they have something to gain out of it, even if what they're doing is a net good. So when I saw his character, I saw him as a scam artist who was doing a good thing, but just profiting from it. And so his conflict from Obi-Wan was more that Obi-Wan was telling him that you should just be doing this because it's a... Not that Obi-Wan told him to do it, that he should do it because it's a good thing. But that when he actually met Obi-Wan, he met a real-life Jedi, he realized that, like, I should be helping people like him. Because yeah. he came in here looking for a kid, to save a kid. And he did that, and now he's being hunted for it. I should do what my job is. Help him. I know how to help people. I do it all the time. I scam people for it, but I can do it. And so that was the big character arc. Yeah, and when I initially watched it, it was more of, I just saw him as a con man and nothing more. Yeah, which I think they tried to show that as like, yeah, he's a con man, but at the end of the day, he had the connections necessary to smuggle people off world. Of course, he could help Obi-Wan do it. Yeah, but then but, again, I would imagine he really doesn't have to change his character because at the end of the day, his actions do inspire hope at the end of the day. Yeah, no, it's not necessarily that um, Haja is a bad person. It's more that he should be doing it because it's the right thing to do, not because there's money to be made. Yeah, but I want to say the part of this episode that I actually did like was uh, uh, Reva's character escalating like crazy. Like, uh, she grew very power hungry, and uh, as I'm sure anyone can tell you, obviously... Uh, the uh, worst thing than a fascist is a power-hungry fascist. Yeah. On some level, though, I don't know if she's a fascist person. Well, okay. Well, well she's, she's in a fascist organization. She's a fascist enabler. I can yeah. say that. I don't think she's a fascist herself, as I believe she's coming from a place of hurt and pain. And remember, if we're really looking at this, and remember that the Inquisitors are capos, yeah. think of it like this. Because at the end of the day, the Inquisitors were all former Jedi. Yeah. So if you think about it, and you think of the Jewish allegory, and you think of them as capos, think of it as all Inquisitors, the, the, most of the Inquisitors were Jewish people of high status who were able to keep a semblance of their status within the Nazi regime, becoming capos. Reva, on the other hand, was a lower Jew who didn't have status and was hunted just like the rest of the Jews. But she was lost. She was abandoned. She lost her people and was thus subjugated to torment and torture. But she was able to at least survive and become a capo herself. But because of that, she now has an immense rage at being forgotten. At Especially being because abandoned. The fifth it's the fifth brother that uh like that like 
no, is it the fifth brother or the Grand Inquisitor? Grand, that, the Grand Inquisitor. It's the Grand Inquisitor that goads all over her, saying yeah. that she's just she's just a lower like commander. Yeah, and which, if you think about it, once again, going with this allegory, the Grand Inquisitor was a Jedi Temple guard. The fifth brother and the fourth sister were most likely Jedi Knights. Reva, if our theory holds true, was a youngling. She had no real formal training in the Force. She wasn't one that decided to defect to the winning side. She was broken and made into an Inquisitor, unlike them who chose to be Inquisitors. Okay. And I think that's where it's going with. Yeah, and especially because she she does look fairly young and has like more ambition than the others. Yeah, because... I mean, hell, going by could, the going I mean, by the younglings that we saw in the temple during the opening of episode one, they looked to be in their like they looked like seven or eight. I wasn't even gonna go no because it's only been ten years, so I would say she was like ten or twelve. I wouldn't say twelve. Well, you gotta, maybe maybe between nine and eleven, maybe. No, she can't be nineteen current day. You don't think so? No, she can't be. She looks to be in her twenties. That's just bad writing. <laughs> I don't think it's bad writing. I just think like. Well, then again, we're all basing this off of a theory that you that you've crafted. That's a common theory. Yeah, or but that you've discussed. Yeah, and so, anyways, I think her whole thing is that she wants to curry favor with Darth Vader because it'll allow her to gain more status and power, so she can overcome the feelings that she has of rage and anger, and I feel that she doesn't like Kenobi, not because of anything Kenobi personally did to her. I think it's more about what Kenobi represented. Oh, yeah. Kenobi, like Anakin, Kenobi, Anakin and Kenobi were considered war heroes. They were the two most popular Jedi throughout the galaxy. They are known around the galaxy, feared by Separatists, loved by Republic. They were some of the greatest Jedi to ever live. And so for Obi-Wan to be considered a traitor and for someone who disappeared, like, to someone like Reva who probably looked up to him, it's probably a lot. Especially because at the Revenge of the Sith, we know that he broke into the temple with Yoda and he, all he did was send a distress signal telling people to stay away from the temple. But that's all he did. Yeah. Afterwards, he went and confronted Anakin but he didn't do anything more for Jedi. Lost Jedi. He fucked off to Tatooine and disappeared. All the Jedi had left was to stay away from the temple, but they had no way of regrouping. No way of mounting a counterattack. No way of helping those that were stranded. And as a member of the High Council, Obi-Wan shirked his responsibilities. And I feel that is what her true rage is. She feels, on some level kindred with anakin in the sense that she feels betrayed and left behind by the jedi and she can self-justify her uh like her assault on on like constantly going after him because of the fact that he's her ticket up yeah i feel like he doubles as not just um like a representation of her anger but also her way to climb rank yeah and so It was really interesting, and then she stabbed the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. Which, by the way, no, he's not dead. They are definitely not retconning rebels. 
he is alive. And to prove it, Utapawans, which is the species that the Grand Inquisitor is, is Utapawan, they have two stomachs. So, yeah. And also, let's be honest here, Fennec Shan, a normal human, survived getting a gut shot. Uh, the Grand Inquisitor, a strong dark side user surviving being stabbed? Come on. This is the same series where Maul got cut in half and lived on sheer rage alone. Come on, people. The Grand Inquisitor is still alive. Yeah. And so, episode two, I really liked, especially because the conflict was about breaking Obi-Wan in the sense of, we don't need to capture him. We just need to squeeze him until he makes a mistake. Yeah. And he did. By getting caught up with all the bounty hunters and not being able to keep control of Leia, he ended up being forced out to take a freighter, and that freighter is easily tracked. Yeah. Which will now lead us into episode three. Where my opinions on it vastly shift. I just want to get the good parts out of the way immediately, where... Yeah, Obi-Wan struggles in this episode, and that's what I expected from episode two. Yeah. And then getting that in episode three, honestly, that felt a lot better for me, not gonna lie. Especially when Darth Vader got uh, right in front of him. Oh, God. Darth Vader in this episode oh, was he, amazing. He was brutal. This is this was the best hybrid combination of Hayden Christensen and uh, James Earl Jones. The best. Yeah. Like, we see the anger and hatred that he has far eclipsing anything Reva has for Obi-Wan. Yeah. Like, but we also see Obi-Wan's immense PTSD and guilt and how the more he's with Leia, the more he sees Padme, the more he's reminded that he failed her. Yeah. And also just the fact that uh, Vader wants to put him through the same torture he went through. I, the lighting the ground on fire and then, dragging him through the fire only allowing him to use one arm because remember when anakin had to leave that lava bed he only had one arm to use so the fact that he only allowed obi-wan to use one arm as he dragged him through the fire was so brutal it shows just how much anger and hatred he has for him and also like like even with this the fight choreography itself i wouldn't say it was amazing but it, it showed the, but it showed that Obi-Wan actually did try and Vader didn't have to. Yeah, it's definitely more reminiscent to the fight that we will eventually see in, in a new a, hope. In a new hope, yeah. That's... Where it's less about the spinny acrobatics, but now it's more about short, deliberate strikes at each other. Yeah, it, it more deals with what's going on between the characters themselves. Because the good part about the fight between o like Obi-Wan and Vader in A New Hope wasn't the cinematography because let's face it it was the first uh, sword duel in all of Star Wars it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't that great to begin with yeah. what was going on was the dialogue and character interactions yeah whereas here yeah Vader's, Vader wants his revenge if we can compare the three fights the fight in A New Hope is basically two masters of their craft dueling it out Meanwhile, the duel in Revenge of the Sith is an explosion of tension. Yeah, I mean, it happening on Mustafar, where literally the uh, battle arena around them is literally melting away and erupting right, right beside them. Not, not, a, not just that, but Mustafar is also a dark side hub. 
So yeah. Anakin is fueled by anger and hatred of the dark side, especially on the heels of murdering the entire Separatist Council, yeah. including his most hated rival in Newt Gunray, man who frequently tried to assassinate and kidnap Padme. <laughs> so, yeah, it was an explosion of tension. Meanwhile, with this one, it's Anakin at his most powerful in a sense. And his most vengeful. Is Anakin at his most powerful and Obi-Wan at his weakest. Yeah, because again, Obi-Wan is struggling to keep that sword up. Yeah. Because, as alluded to in episode two, Obi-Wan struggles to use the Force. He's been, it's like like Luke during um, The Last Jedi. He's completely separated himself from the Force. He is just not in tune with it. He rejects it almost. Yeah. Probably not to the same extent as Luke, but more of, like, as the time goes on, not, like, a complete cutoff. It's just the years have gotten to him. Yeah, the years have gotten to him, but you can even tell that he kind of, like, while he does believe in the light side and stuff, he's completely forsake the Jedi, because the Jedi Code. He buried his lightsaber, he doesn't use the Force in his day-to-day life, he has completely rejected it, which is actually pretty common. We saw the same thing in Star Wars Rebels with um, Kanan. Kanan was someone that also did something very similar, where he cut himself from the Force, he wasn't in tune with it, he kept his lightsaber, but he preferred to use a blaster. And it wasn't until he met Ezra did he try and, you know, reconnect with his roots as a Jedi. Yeah, especially, and it's especially hard because, as shown in Mandalorian, and I'm sure in other animated shows as well, but you have to be in tune with the Force to wield a lightsaber. Yeah. Like, like even non-Force-sensitive people have to, like, know how to be in touch with the Force even a little bit in order to wield one. Otherwise, yeah. it literally drains you. It's why, during, it's why during Star Wars Rebels, Sabine had to train under Kanan, who had just been made a Jedi Knight, into learning how to use the Darksaber efficiently. She had to be trained by someone in tune with the Force to be able to even come close to using the Darksaber. Yeah. Meanwhile, Obi-Wan, who is not in tune with the Force, has not been. And one thing I do want to bring up is something that's been happening over the past three episodes is Obi-Wan constantly trying to commune with Qui-Gon. At the end of Revenge of the Sith, Yoda said he would teach him, but seems that Obi-Wan is failing. And I think the big emotional arc for Obi-Wan is that he, once he's finally reattuned himself to the Force, that is when Qui-Gon will appear. I think we will either get a voice or a visual Force Ghost cameo of Liam Neeson in the show. Like, I think that's what this show is setting up, especially because he reaches out to Qui-Gon at least almost once an episode. Yes, and every time he fails because he's praying, yeah. not trying to be one with the Force. He's tr- praying to the Force as if it's an external power. When we know that the force, the living force, is something that is in everyone. It binds everyone. It flows throughout everything in the galaxy. It is not something that you pray to as something external from you. It is something within you, something you harness within yourself. And he's not doing that. Yeah. This episode also showed more uh, Leia goodness. She is a phenomenal liar. Um. Um, Freck, oh my god. The fat, oh my god, Freck being played by Zach Braff. Jesus Christ. That character design was really good, not gonna lie. Yes, and also how he's just a massive Imperial simp. 
So much so that all the all, all the fucking which is actually really interesting because it's another reflection because the Empire is very speciesist. They hate aliens. So seeing that common grunt soldiers who are humans all being like, hey, Frack, thanks, Frack, like being on great terms with him really shows almost a level of disconnect between imperial doctrine and dogma and what it's like as a day-to-day citizen with day-to-day interactions with troops. Yeah. And so, yeah, Freck was insane. Um, Obi-Wan slicing a man in half by shooting him onto the fence was unexpectedly brutal. I'm going to say this right now. Obi-Wan is a straight-up gangster throughout this show. Like, he is very street smart. He is willing to break into meth labs, spice labs, break into spice labs. He bitch slaps. He bitch slaps people. He beats the shit out of people. He holds people at gunpoint. He quick draws on people. He shoots people with no remorse. This man is a straight up gangster, and I love it. Yeah. One thing from last episode I really liked was um the girl that gave him spice. Um, that's his. That's Ewan McGregor's real life daughter. Oh really? Yep. That was his real life daughter, and in fact, she's also the great niece of the actor that played Wedge Antilles back in the original trilogy. Huh. And also played Wedge in um, Rise of Skywalker. Okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so seeing him do more of the same, just shoot people and kill them with a blaster, despite the fact that he thinks they're very uncivilized, he's pretty good. Pretty good with a blaster. Which is no surprise, because if you watch Star Wars The Clone Wars, he is a very good shot, especially with a sniper rifle. There's an arc in Star Wars The Clone Wars where he is... It's the... Remember when I told you about Reiko Hardin? Yeah, where he tries to impersonate being like a like a mercenary or something? Yeah, he's pretending to be a bounty hunter that's trying to assassinate Palpatine. Yeah. Yeah. In that, he has to use a sniper rifle, and he's very good at it. Yeah. He's a very dangerous shot. And so, the show has continued that trend. Um, we then meet um, Nala. Hala? Nala. Tala. Tala! We meet Tala, who is an Imperial officer who is also a member of the PATH, which, once again, is very much reminiscent of Nazi SS officers that actually helped Jews escape concentration camps. She's very, she's a very interesting character, uh, very much showing that um, those that joined the Empire didn't do so necessarily because they are malicious people, because if you remember, and this is something again if you watch clone wars you will see that the general public became more and more distrustful of the jedi and more and more authoritarian as the war progressed as they felt lawlessness and order had been completely disrupted and so when the jedi so when the empire came around they saw it as a start of something great but then seeing it for what it really is which is just an authoritarian fascist police state she's now rebelling against it in secret also, I really like the reference to Quinlan Voss. Quinlan Voss is a Jedi Master who, in the expanded universe, constantly flirts between the dark and the light side, and then inevitably survive Order 66 on Kashyyyk, fighting his way through clone troopers and inevitably killing his clone commander before disappearing. In canon, he's very much similar he is considered a loose cannon he appears in an episode of clone wars and he actually had an entire arc for him in clone wars set out for him before clone wars was canceled in the disney buyout of lucasfilm but was then adapted into a book called dark disciple in it 
Quinlan Voss was given the was given the um was given the mission by the Jedi High Council, including Obi Wan, to assassinate Count Dooku. And to do so, he had to team up with Dooku's former apprentice, Asajj Ventress. The two of them fall in love, but then Quillen Voss is swayed to the dark side. Asajj Ventress helps him regain to the light, but in exchange, she sacrifices herself in a fight against Dooku. And so then Quillen returns to the light, and he returns to the Jedi Order, and he fights to the end of the Clone Wars, where, just like in the Expanded Universe, he avoids Order 66. And in this canon, he is now helping younglings through the path. Very much like the Brika. So he's helping younglings to the path, and we do know that Quinlan Voss survives to Return of the Jedi, as it's stated that he does see the fall of the Empire. Huh. So, yeah. So it was really good seeing a reference to Quinlan Voss as well, and really just showing how important this allegory to the Jew struggle in the Holocaust and the post-Holocaust really is important to the story of Obi-Wan and the Jedi as a whole. We even see that even more with when Reva infiltrates that back room. She sees the Jedi insignia, and she goes to touch it, but immediately lashes out in rage. Really just showing that her rage isn't just towards Obi-Wan, but it's to the Jedi as a whole. Yeah. Anything else of the episode that uh, really caught your eye? Ned B holding a fucking mallet ready to bash that stormtrooper's head in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he did say... Action speak louder than words. That man, that droid was about to literally murder him. And I love it. Because you can even see subtly in the scene, when he goes to open the door, he picks something up. But then you see, yeah, he did pick something up. He picked up a mallet and he's going to bash this man's brains in. I fucking loved it. Um, I also liked that they did actually confirm, not confirm, but you know how Reva is fighting for the Grand Inquisitor position? Yeah. They did imply that the Grand Inquisitor is still alive, seeing as how no one has been promoted to the position. Grand Inquisitor is still alive, meaning that Reva can't get promoted to it. She I has mean, to. And do Vader's it. still holding it above her head. Exactly. And we see it again with the Fifth Brother saying how he is supposed to be next in line, how he is owed the seat as the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah. Which he technically achieves by Rebel Season 2. He's never called the Grand Inquisitor in Rebel Season 2, but he very much acts like the Grand Inquisitor in Rebel Season 2. <sighs> but overall, that was my our review of uh, Kenobi. I give them straight 7s across the board. 7-6-7 seven, seven for me. Yeah, I give them straight 7s. Really good, really solid, but I'm very much fearful because the beginning of Book of Boba Fett was really solid in its first half, and then the second half shit the bed. Yeah. So again, I really hope this doesn't happen. Again, this show has to prove itself because my confidence in Star Wars, thanks to Book of Boba Fett, was diminished greatly. Yes, but this show is definitely bringing things back up. I love what they're doing with Vader. I love what they're doing with Obi-Wan. I love how Leia is basically our secondary protagonist, and she's done a phenomenal job. Yeah. I love Reva as our main antagonist, and I love I even love the fifth brother as the secondary antagonist as well. Yeah. Also showing that uh Lucasfilms can't really get away from the Star Skywalker saga. Yeah. But then again, <laughs> the Skywalker saga is considered everything that takes place between episodes 1 and 9. Yeah. Even though 
we should be starting a new trilogy soon, but uh, apparently it looks like we're going to be straying away from that again. Yeah, for now. They need someone to do the new trilogy. They're still looking for people. Yeah. Also, um, one thing I really liked was in episode two, we saw a former member of the 501st Legion on Dayu. Oh yeah, played by Tamara Morrison. Yes, which is really good. And it's actually really funny how Obi-Wan first sees him and he's hesitant because that's a clone that betrayed yeah. him. But he still takes pity on him because just like the Jedi, the clones were wiped out pretty much. Like, not wiped out and they were genocided, but they've been washed up and used and now look at him, he's homeless. Yeah, like pretty much they were just equipment. They used them and since they serve no use anymore, just toss them to the side. Yep. Which also really shows that, yeah, the clones were phased out and they were just left to be homeless. And we're probably going to see more of that in uh, The Bad Batch as well as in uh, Andor. Yep. So yeah, it was good to see Tamara Morrison again. Okay. He said he was willing to play any clone that Lucasfilm wanted to show in live action and he, he held true to it. Okay. Yep. So... Now that we have finally gotten out of everything Disney-related, let's talk about some Pokemon. All right, so uh, managed to get some Scarlet and Violet news finally, despite the fact that the game comes out in like five months. Yep, comes out on my birthday, November 18th. And so, uh, what did you think of the trailer? Honestly, what caught my eye first was uh, the better models. Honestly, I did not expect the three starters to look as good as they did. Yeah, they look really good. Quaxley still looking like the best starter with the with the fucking Josuke hair hair flip and everything. Yeah, fucking love Quaxley. And of course, Pokemon Company had to go ahead and uh, expose us to this generation's Wulu. We've got Lechonk. Lechonk is amazing. I love it so much. The only thing that, like, has me worried is, like, I want this to be on the tier of, like, Hippowdon as far as, like, a good evolution. But knowing Pokemon, we're probably going to get something on the tier of Diggersby. Because it looks like it's going to be, like, the standard normal type that we get in each gen. I think it's going to be normal fighting type in its final evolution. You think so? The Pokedex description for it says that its entire body is muscle. <laughs> Which gives me massive Kingpin vibes. <laughs> but yeah, no, everyone loves LeChonk. Yes, I love LeChonk. We also have um, Smoliv. Yeah, we got Smoliv, and then what was the other one? Smoliv, and then the last one is called um, Palmy. Yeah, and then we also got the legendaries. We got uh, Mariadon and... Uh... Koridon. Koridon, yeah. Which, it seems to be the theme of... Scarlet and, Ga Scarlet and Violet is the past and the present. Notice how the professors are named Sada and Turo, as in Pasada and Futuro, Spanish for past and, <laughs> past and future. And then Koraidon and Miraidon, Kurai is Japanese for past, and Mirai is Japanese for future. Yeah. So very much it seems to be the whole dynamic of Scarlet and Violet is the past and the future. Especially because the one representing Violet has jet boosters for feet yes and and then of course the other one we uh, have Karida, Kuro, we Kuro. have Komoo 2.0 yes i <laughs> think that Kur, i think uh Karidon is a dragon fighting and i oh, believe instantly. that i believe that Maridon is um electric dragon yeah 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 for sure um we also got our our rival uh Nimona, who she looks cool yeah 
She got that dyed green hair. Um, the thing, um, also, um, Sada, Professor Sada is, uh, I, the new waifu of the generation. But also, did you see the memes that, um, Turo looks like the Giga Chad meme? Yes. He looks like the fucking Giga Chad meme. It's amazing. No, they, I've seen Photoshop of, like, oh, this is Professor Sigma. <laughs> oh my god, yes. But he's such a Giga Chad. But you can even notice the past and, uh, future, um, motifs in their clothing, where, um... Sada, she wears like, um, like, she wears like a, like a tank top that has like, um, fangs on it, like Pokemon fangs, like sharpened fangs, while Turo wears a more futuristic type of suit. Hmm. So, yeah, it seems very much that, um, Scarlet and Violet is about the past and the future. Um, one thing that is really major that I haven't seen people talk about is four-player co-op in the open world. Oh, yeah. And the fact that it looks like battles transition in the open world pretty seamlessly like how we've seen in Legends Arceus. Yes, something I... I, The four-player co-op is something I never thought we would see. I mean, the regular co-op that we got in um, um, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee I thought was great, and I always fantasized about four-player co-op, and I didn't think they'd do it, but the bastards did it! We're getting four-player co-op in open world. And also, looks like you can just trade from open world right there as well. Yes, which is looking to be amazing. And it looks like those little kiosks, which look like a Pokemon Center Pokemon hybrid, is where you can, you know, get people to join you for the open world. Which, you know, you know Sovereign and I are going to be open-worlding this game as co-op together. Yes, definitely. God, but... Also, we got um, the return of several Pokemon. Yeah, we got um, the Fletchling line, uh, Venonat, okay, Pupitar, Bagon. No, 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 no. We don't give a fuck about them. We're talking about our Lord and Savior, Toxapex, has returned for the third generation in a row. Ready to wall the fuck out of OU all over again. Uh, Let's go! Toxapex is back. One of my favorite Gen 7 Pokemon is back. Ready to wall OU to shit. I love it. But uh, do you think they're going to cut Pokemon this gen? Yes, I mean, they already said they would. Because, uh, I mean, I can imagine them like doing a cut Pokedex like they did in Sun and Moon. Um, They kind of said going forward. Ever, ever, so, back when they initially announced that not all Pokemon were going to be in Sword and Shield, they said it was going to be like that moving forward. And, I mean, every game released subsequently has proved to that to be exactly true. I see this new game as being no different. Yeah, because, I mean, we got that in Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl, Legends Arceus. I see this game is no different. I don't think we're going to have all Pokemon. Yeah, we probably will go through that again, most just most likely just because we're going to get updated models for a bunch of Pokemon. Not just that, but we are very close to 1,000 Pokemon. We are now at 908 Pokemon. Now we are at 900, so 908, 911 with the three starters, 914 with the three new Pokemon, and now 916 with the two legendaries. Do you think they'll add more than, like, 70 Pokemon this time? Because uh, Sun er, Sword and Shield didn't add that much in comparison to other gems. Well, seeing as with... So, with the advent of Pokemon being introduced mid-gen ever since Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, and then them sticking to that idea with um, Legends Arceus, I feel like we probably just won't see all Pokemon from Gen 9 in this game, but we'll see them in other games as well. Or hell, even Sword and Shield uh, brings that example. Oh, yeah, with the uh, DLC. Yeah. 
So I think what we'll get in the base game is not all Pokemon introduced within the gym. Okay. I do hope we will see regional variants because I just realized we don't actually know the name of this region. That is true. Yeah, we don't we don't have a name for this region yet. And we don't have uh, this we don't have this region's variation of Meowth yet. Yeah, we actually haven't. <laughs> Palmy looks to be the Pikachu clone. Yeah, because it is electric type. Yeah, and it has static. Yeah. So Palmy looks to be the Pikachu clone. And then it looks like Lechonk is just going to be the normal... Uh, uh, the normal type rodent. Ro- it doesn't... Well, because pigs, Ro- aren't, pigs aren't rodents, but it's effectively going to be this generation's normal rodent. Well, for a while it was rodent until I would say... I would probably say up until X and Y, because Bunnelby... Bunnelby is... Aren't rabbits considered part of that line? Okay, well then if not Bunnelby, then most definitely with Young Goose, who's a mongoose. Yeah, well... And then Wooloo, which was a sheep. Yeah. And so now we got, uh, Lechonk! Well, actually, no, for that generation, it was Greedent. Right! I forgot it was Greedent, too. And then... Scovet and Greedent, yeah, you're right. And then actually, no, for Gen 3, it was, um, it was Zigzagoon. That's a rodent. Yeah. No, I was saying that the gen that would get rid of the rodent would probably be Gen 7. Yeah. Because, no, that, because, you... because Young Goose is Mongoose. Oh, wait, I thought you meant Zangoose, never mind. No, 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 Young Goose. <laughs> no, I got, I, I, I got that mixed Young up. Young Goose, that evolves into Donald Trump. <laughs> but, yeah, um, I'm very excited. Yeah. Um, the four-player co-op has me more excited than it has any right to. Um, as for the designs, um, I love Lechonk. And everyone love, does. Everyone loves. Everyone Lech- loves. Lechonk. I love Lechonk. I still love Quaxley, and I really like Coridon. So I'm definitely getting Scarlet, especially because Professor Sada is the waifu. Um. Yeah. Um. I'm excited. Yeah. Um, yeah. Other news in Pokemon. Um, Pokemon Home came out in between podcast episodes. And um, when it initially dropped, not Pokemon Home came out, Pokemon Home 2.0 came out. Yeah, we got a patch for it that allows for um, Pokemon from... from uh, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl, and Legends Arceus to transfer to Sword and Shield, as well as allowing for Hisuian variants within Pokemon Go to appear in... Um, to be transferred into Pokemon Home. Yep, and they screwed it up somehow because Minior glitched the whole server into locking people out of their accounts. It was either through one of the Minior's getting their data removed or AZ's Floette having its data removed, which caused a massive glitch which affected many players, myself included, from (laughs) being able to use the service for two weeks. Or I think it was for ten days. And then they fixed it, and now it works perfectly, and I'm really happy. And they also are offering uh, 10 days of free premium for those affected. So, um, yeah, I get 10 days of free premium, despite the fact that I have the year-long pass. Yeah. But it's cool. I like using it. Um, I, I think my next big uh, adventure for Pokemon before Scarlet and Violet is completing all the research tasks within Pokemon Home in preparation. I... Once again, have caught every Pokemon that has ever existed, including all the new Pokemon that appeared in Legends Arceus. So um, I cannot wait to create a new living Dex. Yeah, no, once I'm not... Scarlet Violet comes out, and I put it in home. Yeah, no, I've, I'm already on my living Dex journey, and uh, let's say uh, Sword and Shield was not fun. 
I like doing the Sword and Shield living decks. Well, it's the wild area exclusives. Those were annoying. Especially because of the re- uh, the weather-locked ones. That's fair, yeah. Like, for some of the weather-locked ones, I had to go back to Sun and Moon for that. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> like, I did not want to wait for, like, foggy weather and the dusty bowl just to catch a Mawile. Yeah. Or you could have just transferred a, Walmart, a Mawile from a previous gen and then just bred it. So. That's what I did. Okay, yeah. That's what I ended up doing. Okay. <laughs> That's oh, what... Wait, 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 wait. Did you not have Mawiles already from previous games? Or did you have to go and catch one? No, I just went and got one. See, I've had Mawiles from back in, like, Ruby, Sapphire, and Emerald that I just kept transferring up. Uh, I didn't care to look. I just, like, oh, I can catch one in Sun and Moon, and it's fairly easy. Like, it just shows up. Like, okay, yeah. easy enough. Fair enough. And then, um... So that was really cool. So I'm really excited, especially because, um... I caught a shiny Hisuian Zoroark, and I have two of them now in Legends Arceus, and Hisuian Zoroark is going to be in Scarlet and Violet, so send that bitch over. Oh, same here. I think mine's actually uh, timid, so that's awesome. Yeah, no, my, one of mine is timid as well. Oh, man. <laughs> one of mine is timid, so um, yeah, I'm sending that bitch over to Scarlet and Violet, and it's going to be fucking ha- lit. I'm also happy because my Arceus is jolly. I haven't checked what my two Arceuses are. I'll have to check and see. I have, I now actually have three Arceuses total. I have one from that event back in uh, black and white. And then, I have, and then I have the two, one from Brilliant Diamond Shining Pearl and one from Legends Arceus. And so I have three Arceuses. Same. I think my Arceus is like still in Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire from back in black and white. I have six Shaman. I have six Shaman now. Oh, I gotta, I gotta look, because they did that, like, 20th anniversary mythical giveaway, and all yeah. my mythicals are there. <laughs> I have, like, six shamans. I have six shamans, three Victinis, four Darkrai's, uh, two Manaphy's, two Fion's, a metric fuck-ton of Regigigas's, <laughs> a bunch of Cresselia's, a lot of Heatran's, um, several Dialga, several Palkia, several Giratina's, many Azelf's. Uxies and Mesprets. I have a lot of Sinnoh legendaries because I love Sinnoh. As you should. As yes. you should. I also have a lot of Hoenn legendaries. I have four Regirocks, four Registeels. No, four Regirocks, five Registeels, and six Regices. <laughs> Actually, uh, I'll pull this up later, but I, I want to count how many of each legendary I have because I have a fuck ton of them. But, um, yeah, Pokemon Home stuff. Really excited. Pokemon Scarlet and Violet. Gonna get it for my birthday. Super excited. Like what I'm seeing. They better push the Pokemon Home uh, compatibility soon, because I am not waiting for that shiny charm. I swear to God. Oh, yeah, I swear to God. They better let Pokemon Home be compatible with Scarlet and Violet day one. Yeah. Like, because that was... Uh, honestly, I would, be, I would be happy week two. But after that, I'm rioting. Yeah, same. Because we had, to, we had to wait, like, two months after Sword and Shield. We had to wait like five months after uh, Legends Arceus. Exactly. And that would be eight months for Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl. Exactly. No. We waited five. It'd be seven. You, you get what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, yeah. You get, you get where I'm going. Yeah. You, you get it. Yeah, it was long. <laughs> but yeah, that was our Pokemon segment. Now let us talk about our last media segment, Dragon Ball. Yes. So let us talk with the short one. New Dragon Ball Super Superhero trailer, where um, Bulma is now, now... Bulma now has an ass matching that of She-Hulk. Why, Toy? Why? 
It gets people hyped for the movie. Uh, I think people are there for Gohan. <laughs> Speaking of, though, Gohan looks fucking amazing in just, this movie. The animation in general has looked like it's justifying its uh, art style because, I mean, we've had a lot of hesitation coming for the CG. But the CG is now looking phenomenal. It looks better than any video game I've ever played. Yeah, the CG is great. I cannot wait to see Gohan and Piccolo fighting it out with the Gammas. Um, we're definitely going to see Goku and Vegeta and Broly. Um, I still think there's probably one other android that we haven't seen yet. Yeah. But um, overall, movie is looking really good. Do we have a release date? Uh, I know it got pushed back because Toy got hacked. Yeah. It's at least happening in the summertime for a Japan release. Yes. Hopefully it comes out fall for America. It was supposed to have come out the same week as Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. But we also do get glimpses of Gohan, Goten. We're getting fat Gotenks back again. Yes, can't wait for that. <laughs> yes. Finally, they age up those damn characters. We talked about that last time we talked about it, though. Yeah. yeah. It's a two-hour movie, initial release. The movie comes out in ten days in Japan! Wait, how long until it gets uploaded to Pornhub? Does... Does that verification system let that pass through anymore? Well, actually, yeah, never mind. Then again, when Resurrection F came out, I watched it on X videos. So... Important things to discuss. I will... Whenever it releases, I will be refreshing X videos every day until I see that movie show up. Nah, I'm experiencing it in theaters. I'm sorry, but the hype from Dragon Ball Super Broly can only experience be experienced once in a lifetime. Wait, 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 wait. wait. Who's to say I'm not watching it in theaters either? No, I'm making it my first experience with this movie. Ah. I am... I, you cannot stop me from experiencing this movie in a crowd of Dragon Ball fans. Remember that... Yeah, okay, re, yeah. yeah. remember that we first did... time we saw Dr uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly? Yeah, it was, that, it was that, pretty hype. That surpasses the hype from... Any Endgame. Marvel movie. Yeah. Any Marvel movie. Yeah, the hype, the hype. Exponentially. The hype that we had during Dragon Ball Super Broly was far more hype than any hype that I had. You had people that... standing out of their seats. You had people shouting TFS quotes. You had it all. Yeah. Actually, yeah, I'll probably, I'll, I'll skip the X videos. I'll watch it in theaters whenever it comes out. But yeah, I'm excited for Dragon Ball Superhero. But now, let us talk about the main part of Dragon Ball that um, we didn't get to talk to. Let's talk about, I believe it's Dragon Ball's Chapter 81, right? Dragon Ball Super Chapter 81? Yep, I believe so. Yes. And, um... Wow. <laughs> Gas will not let up. <laughs> yeah, no, Gas is very much the strongest. However, I'm now really wondering, what wish did Alec make? So you think it's a little further than just wishing to be to have gas be the strongest in the world yeah i'm wondering what it could be because the more we f the more we go back to elec and the more he gives insight about gas being strong the less it sounds like he made the same wish granola did yeah yes gas aged up and that did allow gas the mental fortitude to overcome their awakening form and now master it making him far stronger but I'm just not sure what wish he made. Yeah, yeah. But um, the main draw of this chapter 
is um, the fact that Goku and Vegeta now completely understand. Well, for Goku, he now completely understands what Saiyan pride is. And for Vegeta, he is now... He now feels like he re-understands what Saiyan pride is supposed to be. Yeah. Especially because a lot of the implications being that for both of them to unlock like like their further godly forms with ultra instincts and ultra ego, mm -hmm. they have to go back to their Saiyan lineage and Yeah, it's looking like that's what this chapter um definitely emphasizes. Yeah. It's definitely like showing them that um they need to what's it called? They needed to trust themselves, really. Yeah. They needed to trust themselves and actually for Goku, it was understanding that having Saiyan pride is, like, not something he should be averse to. Because one thing that has been stated constantly in Dragon Ball proper was that Goku never fought to win. He always fought to get better. And this is now very much showing that fact. That, um... Goku now realizes he must fight to win. And I really do like that. Especially because some people thought it was bullshit, but to that, I, re I refer them to Vegeta's iconic speech back during the Buu Saga, where he very clearly says Goku never fights to win. He always fought to be better. Yeah. And now we're seeing that Goku now knows he needs to fight to win. Yeah, because constantly we see his journey is always just to get better no matter what stands in the way ethics and morals be damned exactly <laughs> but now we see a complete subversion of that where we see yeah just that he needs to learn to to actually go towards winning which is a very weird to say very weird to say but when you look back on the series yes goku fights to win but winning is not like his his, it's not like his ultimate goal. It's not his ultimate goal. It's more like but, it's a goal, but it's never his primary goal in a fight. Yeah. I mean, hell, he gives up to sell. He, uh, what, what other things has he done? He gives up to sell. He doesn't try and win against Majin Buu. Majin Buu, not Kid Buu. Yeah. He doesn't try to win against Majin Buu. Um, when it comes to Beerus, he, like, he's just kind of testing his power when it comes to Frieza, he, like, beats him, but he doesn't finish the job. When it comes to Hit, he yeah, yeah, fights him, but he doesn't care to win because he feels that Monaka's in his back pocket. When it comes to Zamasu, I feel that's one of the only times he fought to win. Yeah, that was the only time because, you know, a whole timeline was at stake. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, yeah Goten and Chi-Chi getting killed is uh, definitely a good motivator. Yeah. So, uh... Yeah, aside from stuff in the Goku Black arc, that's pretty much, like, the only time that we see him, like, ultimately try to win because, you know, another person's universe is at stake. Yeah, but now he's learning that he must fight to win. Meanwhile, with Vegeta, he learned that taking pride in the Saiyan heritage is not about taking their sins, but taking pride in being a part of what they are which some people find problematic, and I can explain why. So, the way Monaito phrases it is that he kind of phrases it in the sense that so what that the people that you're a part of did bad things in the past. It's in the past, and it shouldn't matter to you. 
problem is that one, Vegeta very much was a part of that, but two, it kind of sounds like a bit of whitewashing, which is something that Japanese history has a problem with, with how many people in Japanese culture kind of like to downplay or outright just not talk about the horrific crimes that Imperial Japan did to mainland China and Korea during World War II. And yeah. so, especially with how Attack on Titan ended and how it very much had, you know, a lot of very questionable politics to begin with. Some people saw the way Monaito kind of hand-waved the atrocities of the Saiyans. A little problematic, especially because the Saiyans not only invaded his planet, but they're the reason why his surrogate son's a fucking orphan. Well, Elek is the reason why why Granola's an orphan. But you know what I mean. Yeah. So it was a bit problematic. I can see why. I think it was probably just a very not good translation. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think it was a good translation, but I also feel that the underlying message is still somewhat problematic to begin with. Like, like I've studied Japanese. I don't think that's something that can be lost in translation. Yeah, yeah. The message, the message in and of itself, was still pretty problematic. Yeah. No. Like I, I don't i think it was interpreted pro- uh, properly and that's i don't think there's any way you can justify that it was pretty problematic all things considered given the context of japanese culture especially because vegeta committed how many genocides more than we know <laughs> like this is a man who can commit a genocide in a in the span of 2 seconds exactly and the fact that he's feeling guilt about it is supposed to be you know like, that's a good part of his character arc. Like, that's something that we've seen uh, inklings of since, like... Like, in the manga, we've seen that ever since the Galactic Patrol prisoner arc. Yeah, and I think I think what it was supposed to be was that Vegeta is allowed to I feel... think it's, like, what they're trying to hint at is, like, him moving past it. But, again, the way they worded it, it was, like, him, yeah. like, for, like forgetting it all and because like i believe what it was trying to be is that vegeta shouldn't feel so much guilt to the point where he's fucking suicidal like he was in the beginning of the arc where he was like letting granola just fucking kill him because he was so guilt-ridden yeah yeah but now we get to the action which is seeing the transformation sequence of ultra instinct goku and ultra instinct vegeto to fight awakened gas the, the panel of them powering up together was amazing. Yes. And the general fight was really good. And I actually am in the minority in that I'm glad Gas didn't just fucking roll over. <laughs> like, he's keeping it up with them. He's fighting really well. Some people are like, oh, why is Goku getting hit? And it's like, okay, people. Ultra Instinct was never auto-dodge the technique. That's in, never what it was. <laughs> in every and also it's pretty ridiculous considering what, why did Jiren hit Goku? I thought you could dodge any hit. I was about to say considering <laughs> that I was about to say considering every appearance of Ultra Instinct we've seen in both the anime and the manga and even in what was it? Even in Super Dragon Ball Heroes, Goku's been hit. He's been hit by Jiren, he's been hit by Kefla, he's been hit by Con- by um Cumber. He was hit by Hearts. He was hit by, um, who was it? He was hit by Hearts. He was hit by Moro. He's being hit by Gas. He was hit by Granola. 
Like, Ultra Instinct has never been auto-dodge. He's always been hit whenever he's used it. And so... I thought the fight was really good. Seeing the uh, Gala Kamehameha was good once again. And seeing Vegeta use a straight-up, like, Hakai in the way Topo used it in the Tournament of Power was also really good. Yeah. And I like how Gas hasn't fully given up on energy constructs either, as it was because of his energy constructs it allowed him to withstand the Hakai. Yeah. And also the uh, the implication that Goku can survive getting hakai Yes, something that we knew he could do back in the anime, but had not been shown within the manga. Yeah. So, yeah, overall, I thought the chapter was good in terms of character development and good in terms of action. There was a problematic aspect, so overall, I'd probably rank the chapter a 6. 6.5. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh... Huh! Media segment's over. Finally, two and a half hours later, we have gotten through all of our media segments. That's what we get for missing two hour, two weeks worth of content. And unfortunately, it was two weeks that was pretty much every day something new came out that we were like, oh, fuck, we have to talk about this too. You want to get the lighthearted one out of the way first? What lighthearted political segments do we have? All right, Amber Heard. Yes, let's so talk let, about... Let, let me get this out of the way first, because yes. I didn't want to talk about this, but it's it's the thing that happened today, because let me... I'll, I'll just be up front. I don't care about this at all. Yeah. This was the big TMZ hype of the, of the, uh, of the general public's uh, view, and uh, let's just say I think both of these are despicable pieces of human garbage, so I just don't care. For me, on one hand... I feel like it's good that it's out there because, yes, male victims of assault and abuse do exist and they are frequently ignored. And to say that Johnny Depp was not a victim of abuse is wrong. However, I definitely feel that a lot of the public sentiment and public, like, um, what's the word, spectacle about this entire trial was very much rooted in a bit of sexism in the oh, sense no, this, of in the this, sense that this was not necessarily about the fact that johnny depp was abused but more like see women do it too and so women are bad and it felt like people cared less about johnny and more about shitting on amber oh no this was an mra just co- like event of the decade type thing yeah, it very so much... So, let's yeah. go ahead and go over, like, what has happened as a result of this several-week-long trial. So, at the end, they finally did, uh, uh, the jury did come together and say that uh, Johnny Depp w- would be rewarded $15 million for uh, defamation from Amber Heard. Yes. But also that Amber Heard would be rewarded $2 million for her countersuit, which, um... Eh okay okay i mean i feel like he definitely deserves some money considering he literally lost out on being grindelwald and fantastic beasts literally the main villain of the harry potter spinoff and mind you they're shit but still yeah that's money he lost yeah <laughs> just two million just seems like <sighs> wow yeah pennies on the dollar right there yeah i mean considering how much money she definitely lost from getting cut out of aquaman too yeah 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 because i mean uh james Wan and um what's his name who are you talking about actor for aquaman jason momoa yeah jason momoa they actually fought hard to keep her in yeah 
So she's only going to be there for like less than 10 minutes. She's a, she's effectively going to have the same amount of screen time as Rose Dico. Ooh. We're talking Rise of Skywalker, Rose, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a huge yikes. <laughs> Which, I mean, mind you, this is the result of being an abu- abusive person and instead of, you know, being bullied. So, uh... Yeah. Different circumstances, but this time it's a little bit more, you know... Yeah. It's a little bit more justified here. Yeah. Overall, um, my opinions of this is that was Johnny Depp abused? Most definitely. Was he an asshole? And did he have issues like being a coke addict? Which, there's nothing wrong inherently with being a coke addict, but it does not necessarily lend one to be part of a very healthy relationship yeah did amber heard lie about doing coke herself oh most certainly she did because let's be honest here it's hollywood everyone fucking does coke yeah and just because all the evidence has come out because like you can see evidence of like johnny depp uh breaking cabinets and of course the stories that have come out from amber heard about throwing bottles at the end of the day, all of the evidence has come out as, is at the discretion of the jury, and they came out to the decision that they did. Yeah. I think I think he was justified in winning because it's a defamation suit, and considering this is in response to the suit that happened in the UK, which led people to label him an abuser and I believe even, what, a sexual assault, like a sexual assault or a rapist? Because ultimately, the suit in the UK led to her becoming, like, in, like, a speaker for like yeah. a, a domestic abuse and ultimately and it's what cost um it what cost um because johnny depp his role as grindelwald because ultimately it wasn't like her saying oh yeah he's a domestic abuser it's more like oh she rose up and calls herself a speaker which the implication is what led to the uh, lawsuit yeah but at the end of the day like again i don't care enough about this so i didn't look at any of this like i only saw the results i'm like oh this is a problem. Yeah, I kind of looked down and saw, like, oh, it's over, just because I was like, wow, I did not expect this trial to ever fucking end. I was hearing about it days on end, and I was like, listen, bro, like, Johnny Depp, was he screwed? Oh, absolutely, but is... But, yeah. Like, the most exciting thing that I ever paid attention to was literally men's rights activists talking about it. Yeah, and not real men's rights activists, the men's right activists TM, a.k.a. misogynist in hiding. Yeah, the... the... Uh, yeah, we, we, we all love to shame the Mennonists. Yeah, the, not, not the actual men's rights activists, the ones that actually care about helping men and not just shitting on women in an excuse to help men in quotation marks. The real men's rights activists were talking about the fact that the fact that Johnny Depp hadn't been able to come forward with this information in the past was an issue. Yeah. Which we, most definitely was. Okay. Yeah, so that goes o- over everything with that. Uh, pretty much just now we have to talk about the four mass shootings that have happened over the past week two weeks three month it's been month oh i thought you were gonna say something else no 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 four in the month so let's start with the so we have the buffalo shooting we have the buffalo shooting we have the The uvalde texas shooting we have the the taiwan shooter and we have Tulsa? We have Tulsa, yes. This got reported today. Yeah. I, I was actually trying to surprise you with this as some like moment of like, oh, well, look, another mass shooting happened. But yeah, you're on the ball with that one. Yeah. 
When did you actually find out about that? Just now. Same. <laughs> Same. Literally, as we were talking, I looked on my phone and was like, oh, another mass shooting happened. Why are we okay with this? Yeah. And then again, you got to remember, like, last year, over 200, what would be considered 200 mass shootings happened. Yeah, remember, the definition of a mass shooting is literally killing more than three people. Yeah. L- like... But... Co- but there's also a difference between the FBI definition, which is killing more than three people, which many people are considered mass shooters that we wouldn't consider mass shootings because they would kill people in what would be considered like, like domestic domestic disputes or gang related disputes. But, but like when that... we talk about mass shooting, we talk about killing number killing mass numbers of people in public areas. Yeah. And so, which one do you want to start with? Because Let, all of these go, are equally as depressing. Let's go through... I think it's just appropriate to go through chronological order. So, we will start with the Buffalo Shooter. So, this one actually has the biggest importance, because this one actually has racial motivations tied with it. Yes. As uh, the man posted a manifesto. And he basically said he basically said that the Great Replacement Theory is the, one, is the reason why he did this. He believes that... White people are being replaced by minorities and in a malicious way, and thus he had to course correct by killing black people. Yeah. Like, what was even funny is, like, I even heard a story, like, where he went up to a white cashier and, and he was, like, pointed the gun at him and was like, and, he, and he, the cashier looked frightful and was like, oh, I'm sorry, and then just wandered off. Yeah. Like, I don't know if that was true, but that probably did happen. I know he walked up to one of the white cashiers and said, I'm sorry. That's the, that's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Which. Oh my God. And we're okay. And we're okay with this. Like the country as a whole just won't move past this. Yeah. Because mass shootings not only are common because of the amount of guns per person, per, guns per capita that exist in this country, but also because the modern Republican Party and all their pundits are stochastic terrorists and they encourage this type of shit. Yeah. Yes. Oh, man. Just, and so he... He had gunned down 11 uh, peop- uh, black uh, people and... Uh, killed 11 black people. He also murdered the security guard. Thus firmly proving another example of how the whole oh the way to beat a bad guy with a gun is with a good guy with a gun is patently false because the good guy with a gun had a gun he shot at him and he still got fucking shot to death yep although the next shooting is a bigger refutation of that argument as we will soon see actually the next shooting chronologically will be the california church shooting is the taiwanese church shooting committed by a Las Vegas man named David Cho. He he is uh he went to um a California church and he killed how many people did he kill? Um nine nope. Was it nine? Fuck. Uh uh God, why am I forgetting this? I'm I'm reading through it again. Um, so, there were multiple people. Four, four victims suffered critical injuries. So, I'm just going to say this. 40 people were in the church when it happened. And 
the motivations for it weren't even rooted in U.S. politics, if I'm not mistaken, correct? No, this had to do with the Taiwanese-China, um, the Taiwanese-China um, conflict going on currently in the South China Sea, due to the long-standing. Um, how do I say this correctly? The long-standing conflict between mainland China and Taiwan ever since the forces of Chiang Kai-shek fled Mao Zedong's communist revolution. Mind you, Chiang Kai-shek, not a great person. I would definitely say of the two, Mao was better. But they fled to Taiwan, and since then, Taiwan has been a, basically a separate country. Ah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so one person died, and five people were injured, but it was still a mass shooter because many people were affected by this. Yeah, although it doesn't abide to the uh, FBI definition. Like, colloquially, we all agree that it was a mass shooting. Yes. And it happened uh, two days after the Buffalo shooter. Like, even if you want to get technical with the definition, a shooting is still a shooting. Yeah, it took place in, um, what is it called? Uh, Look, and even if you want to diminish that fact, we got two more next, so uh, hang on, everybody. Yeah, this took place in uh, Irvine, Taiwanese Presbyterian Church in Laguna Woods, California. And yeah, so this had to do, I believe the shooter, he believed that, um, he, so he is pro-CCP, as in he's right. pro the Chinese Communist Party, and he hates Taiwanese, despite the fact that he is a Taiwanese immigrant himself. Hmm. And so, yeah, this is very much showing that stochastic terrorism is a thing. Both of these shootings, both the Buffalo shooter as well as the Taiwanese church shooter, are stochastic terrorists, as they were inspired to commit the acts that they did based off of rhetoric from political pundits and political officials in America and China, respectively. This yeah. is very much showing the problem with stochastic terrorism and how just because someone isn't overtly saying, like, kill people, does not necessarily mean that when they're demonizing people, they are not trying to incite harm. This is why things such as the Don't Say Gay Bill and such are so harmful, as it inspires stochastic terrorism. The ability and the constant um, accusations of anyone who's LGBT as a groomer most definitely is the type of rhetoric that leads people to want to kill them en masse. It's kind of similar to how the Great Replacement Theory makes minorities seem like some type of invading force dehumanizing them allowing someone to go and kill a bunch of black people or in the or for um, the taiwanese people the fact that china doesn't consider taiwan its own country that there are a bunch of rebels that they need to be put down because they're not because they um are a security risk to stability to mainland china once again causing rhetoric that dehumanizes the people of taiwan which led to david chow murdering one person injuring five people at the Taiwanese church. These two are textbook cases of mass shootings as a result of stochastic terrorism. Yeah. Now let's move on to the other one, because this one is pretty big as well, the Uvalde shooting. The Uvalde shooting, which is by far, in my opinion, for me personally, the most infuriating of the four. Yes, because did you hear about the uh, story about a child who actually 
covered themselves in the blood yes. of their classmate. I've heard all the stories. The child that covered themselves in the blood of the classmate, the child that was told to scream out for help by the police officer who was then caught by the shooter and subsequently shot, the fact that the police did not go inside to save the children, the fact that police, some police officers ran inside, saved their own children, and then prevented parents from doing the same, from the fact that it took immigration to be the ones to break into the school and kill him, the fact that the shooter was allowed to be in the be in that school with children for one whole hour while the police stood there and did nothing, the fact that the police did not even shoot at the shooter to determine whether he had body armor and they straight up lied about it, the fact that so many parents were arrested and pepper sprayed as their children were slaughtered in mass. Where do I begin on how horrifyingly terrible this entire ordeal was and how downright maliciously incompetent the Uvalde Police Department are? So let's go ahead and wrap it all around and bring it back to the whole good guy with a gun argument. Yes, this was categorically a situation in which you had one bad guy with a gun and several good guys with guns, or I should say good guys in quotation marks, because these quote-unquote good guys did jack shit to stop this person from murdering 19 fucking children! <sighs> Jesus Christ. He killed 19 children and two teachers in the span of an hour while pretty much the entirety of the Uvalde Police Department collectively sat there with their dicks in their hand and did nothing. Actually, no, they did worse than nothing because they did do something. They rescued their own children and left the rest of the children to die. Mind you, it should be known that most of these cops are white and most of the children killed were Hispanic. It should not be forgotten that this most definitely had racial implications in the decision of the cops to save their own kids over the rest of the children. Uvalde is a border town, meaning there are many Mexican immigrants, meaning there is a disproportionate amount of Latin American people within that town, and the fact that most of the cops were white and let these brown children die should not be overshadowed. Yeah. Now, this one has probably had the most political aftermath, despite the fact that the shooter itself didn't seem racially motivated. The shooter itself, we don't know too much about. Many but, people try to claim that he was trans, to which there is no evidence to prove the fact. And many right-wing grifters and politicians, namely Paul Gosar, retweeted numerous pictures of actual trans people that had nothing to do with Uvalde, claiming they were the Uvalde shooter. And thus, these people had to come out and defend themselves, saying, one... I'm alive, so I'm not the Uvalde shooter. And two, I'm trans and not the Uvalde shooter. Please remove my fucking pictures off your Twitter accounts. Because numerous trans people were being implicated and were constantly being harassed. Yeah, exactly. Like, again, with the, the Buffalo shooter being the biggest, like, result of, um, like, stochastic rhetoric as far as the right wing is concerned. This is another example this, of stochastic this... terrorism being normalized in the sense that let's say they allowed this to run its course how many trans people do you think would get murdered yeah, by you... crazy trans folks saying this is for the kids in Uvalde that you, you all killed like there was an instance of actually a trans girl who got confronted by a couple of Texans and literally harassed her without end exactly because they believe that I, they, I, they literally... I, I don't even feel like having to justify why their logic is retarded because it's fucking retarded yeah this is 
this infuriated me on so many different levels. The sheer, I, I mean, at this point, I have to say it's malicious cowardice. Yeah. Did you hear what the sheriff's office said? The reason why they didn't go in? And what was that? And I quote, they were afraid they were going to get shot. That is your fucking job! That is your one fucking job! You are the first line of defense! Of course you're gonna get shot at! Exactly. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh my god, I'm so angry. Oh my god. Anyway. 19 children. 19 children died as a result of these people. Oh my god. And do you know what's the worst part? None of these people will be held legally accountable. As determined by the Supreme Court, cops are in no way legally obligated to protect you. Cops are not legally obligated to protect you, maintain your life, or save your life. Meaning none of these cops will face any amount of justice. They will get to keep their jobs and they will get to do what they normally do, which is prosecute and persecute black and brown people while they abuse their wives and children. And now their children will have to deal with the additional survival's guilt of knowing that they were saved while their friends fucking died. Yep. Fuck cops. Fuck cops. All cops are bastards. All cops are fucking bigots. All cops are fucking cowards because you cannot convince me under any circumstances that the same arguments that we use that co the cops use when they shoot innocent people is that they fear for their lives, that they didn't shoot this motherfucker in the fucking face. They feared for their lives and they did jack shit to save these kids. Yet it's the same excuse of fearing for their lives that they used to murder innocent people. Bullshit! They're fucking cowards. They're racist, misogynistic cowards that do nothing but pretend to be the high school bullies that they envisioned themselves to be when they were in high school or aspire to be when they were bullied in high school. Fuck cops! Which brings us to the shooting that happened today over in Tulsa at a medical center. So at this point, the shooter has been confirmed that he has been killed after shooting four people. So... Of course, this has just been updated recently. This literally happened today. So we'll actually have to read through an article to give you the information here. But looks like the they have confirmed the uh, ultimate n number of dead people, which was four, and said that the uh, shooter died to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So the shooter committed suicide. Exactly. Um, do, so, you, do they have any um, motive? They, they, have, they are unclear about the uh, what prompted the assault. But he did have a handgun and a rifle during the attack. And uh, let's see here. And we do have multiple um, injuries. So was, yeah. this, uh, was this medical center? Uh, it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, right? Yes. Was this medical center one to have been known to get, do abortions? Um, if that was the case, they prop. Let's see here. Houses, buildings for outpatient surgery center and breast health center. Wait, no, this is, is this a different one? Actually, this might be a different health center. Oh yeah, no, this is a different health center. Uh, disregard what I said. This is okay. a, this is one right next, like, uh, right next to it. So this, this happened this afternoon and it uh, looks like they responded within three minutes. Jesus Christ. 
I mean, that's pretty fast response response time. All and then they considered. encountered the shooter a minute later. But by that point, it was too late. Oh yeah. I mean, a shooter coming in with a rifle and a handgun, you can kill a lot of people in three minutes. So I, at least, to our knowledge, currently, at least the cops in this situation didn't horrendously fuck up. Still, fuck all cops. But at least they didn't fuck this one up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, looks like that is all the information that has been revealed about this attack. So, looks like no motivation of this one so far. Again, things will probably come out as the days go by, as has been with all of these shootings. But, again, guns causing problems again. Well, not guns themselves, but you get you get the point. Yeah. Um, I'm just... I'm just... Yeah, we're at a low point because you know all of this talk about guns and trans people and uh, white replacement is all just a ploy to win the midterms. Yes, and not just that. I mean, I'm, I'm, if this medical center is one that does abortions, this is just another example of stochastic terrorism. Yeah, it could be a motive, but again, we can't really jump to conclusions. Yet. I don't want to jump to a conclusion, so I don't want to believe that this is because of abortion. However, mass shootings are a plague on this country. And the way to stop mass shootings is to, one, deal with the fact that we have a massive mental health crisis. And not in the way Republicans say, oh, it's all mental health. We have real mental health issues done so by the crumbling infrastructure that we have due to the crushing boot of capitalism on our society. Yeah, I do want to bring up some of the Republican responses to this. You brought up Paul Gosar pinning it on trans people, which, of course, abhorrent because... You know that he's the type of parent who's like, oh, if a trans kid talks to my kid, I'm going to beat them up, thus uh, perpetuating the violence among, amongst trans people. Remember, Paul Gosar is also the one that openly depicted himself murdering AOC in an Attack on Titan ad. Yeah. And then uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene literally came out with a story of, oh yeah, if this happens, my husband will beat, beat up this trans, uh, like a trans girl if this happened. Yeah, which Republicans are fucking demons. I have said it once, I've said it twice, I will say it a million times. Republican politicians and pundits are fucking demons. They're they are categorically evil. They do nothing but spread hatred and disdain. They want nothing for you to suffer and die at their to their benefit. They are evil. They do not care about you. All they care about is making themselves feel good. They are fucking evil and the things that i want to say about them would land me in a prison cell so i'm not going to say anything yeah like i've seen a lot of stuff from ted cruz actually like him going after video games like didn't we go over this literally two years ago when donald trump trump pinned it on everything and we literally had to go on a massive twitter campaign to show look we're all people too and literally everybody else in the world plays video games you got we are the only country with this problem we're going through this shit again Yes, yes, of course. But then again, remember, Ted Cruz, or should I call him by his government name, Raphael, is what we like to call in a business the, a fucking retard. Literally, subhumanly retarded. So, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, yeah. And then, of course, we get Greg Abbott getting booed at a memorial, which, nice. Oh, yeah, and then, uh, we, of course, had our Beto O'Rourke call out the Uvalde Sheriff Department and Mayor and Greg Abbott saying that it is precisely their fault that shit like this happens. And to that, I say he is absolutely 100% correct. Yeah. 
Of course, you could always point out that it's a political ploy for his run against Greg Abbott later, but at the same time, good on him. Honest, yeah, I mean, honest he, to God. Even if it's political ploy, that doesn't stop the fact that he was speaking facts at that point. Yeah, I mean, and at that point, he, like, his rhetoric is going to influence people on our side. Yes. So and, it's good, no matter what. Yes, and my, the whole thing, and what, what do we do? Some people are talking about we need massive gun reform, and to that I say we do need gun reform in a lot of ways. Red flag laws need to be universal. Universal background checks need to be done. Mentally ill individuals on, I would... I would most likely say on a case-by-case basis, most definitely need to be evaluated before ever being allowed to purchase a firearm. Because at- Extended wait times between ordering and receiving guns needs to be a thing. Like, And you know that, um, I think it's been a thing since 2018 or 19, that Texas actually has permitless carry. Yeah, we also live in a state with permitless carry. Yeah. Which, um... Right now, we're going to use to our benefit because Sovereign and I will be buying guns to protect ourselves, but it is not a good thing, in our opinion. Yep, exactly. Yes, at least we have concealed carry permits, thank the fucking lord. Imagine if we lived here and there weren't concealed carry permits. You can conceal carry without anything. Oh, God, imagine having every city in this goddamn state turn into a sundown town. Jesus Christ. Oh, no, I know. It would be fucking horrifying. But um, in light of recent events, these mass shootings have inspired Salvador and I to uh, take necessary precautions and arm ourselves, as it is very clear at this point that um, stochastic terrorism is a very real problem, and us, as minorities, are very much on the chopping block. Yeah. And since we live in a... We live in a blue area of a very red state, we, uh, yeah. we know that uh, things aren't necessarily all peaches and cream for us. Yeah, yeah, but of course, gotta take all the legal precautions, because... I mean, the only legal precaution we have is to just go in for a fucking concealed carry permit. I mean, we can do better than that. Oh, oh, you're, oh, you're talking about advocating for legal things. Like, no, I mean, we can do better, like, actively, like... Like, I'm sure we can do more than just concealed carry. I'm sure we can do, like, training and all of that stuff. Oh, oh, obviously, obviously, obviously. I but, thought you meant, like... Like, like, at the end of the day, it's like, it's, it's like holding a chainsaw. Like, it's a tool that can kill people. Except the difference between a chainsaw and a gun is that guns' only design is to kill people. Chainsaws can at least be, you know, used to cut wood. Yeah. Yeah, because ultimately, at the, at the end of the day, it is a tool for us to use. Mind you, it's not really that great, but... Yeah. Some people are saying we need bans on assault weapons, but I'm... I While I agree, and... Here's the thing. Assault weapons are already currently banned. Yeah. The problem is is that guns in their current form are dangerous regardless of t- the type it is. Whether it is a handgun, a rifle, or a shotgun, any gun in the modern age is enough to wipe out a room of people if they're not ready. And that's the unfortunate reality of the situation. No amount of stopping what kind of guns there are can stop mass shootings because mass shootings are so fucking easy to do with any gun in the modern era. So we need to get to the root of it. We need to stop the people that cause mass shootings from doing mass shootings. And the only way to do so is to truly and honestly address the material conditions that push someone to the point that they will do a mass shooting. Because let's be honest here, once someone has convinced themselves that mass shootings are the only way, it does not matter what guns you make illegal, they will find it and they will use it. 
So we need to be stopping people from ever getting to the point where they think mass shootings are yeah. a necessary thing. Do you remember what type of gun the Evalde sh shooter used? I believe he used a semi-automatic rifle. That's right. So that being said, how do you feel about uh, Trudeau's actions on this? Because if you're not aware, he he addressed to the public in Canada that he will be for from this point forward freezing all handgun sales and imports, which is um. The only handgun was that was used was in today's shooting. I so I I. I so, my thing is that I believe gun ownership is a necessary right of all members of the proletariat because when the crushing might of the state comes for you, you at least should have a chance to defend yourself. And um, so I do not believe in such a restriction that all handgun sales and imports should be banned because as we saw with the fucking Freedom Convoy, imagine if those people got violent. Can you imagine if the members of the Freedom Convoy got violent? You would want regular law-abiding Canadians to at least defend themselves from these people. Yeah. And like, it's... the fact that the Freedom Convoy was able to freeze trade within Canada for as long as they did, we're lucky they didn't get violent. Well, not we, but Canadians were lucky they didn't get yeah. violent. But, of course, like, Canada doesn't have the same gun problems as us, so freezing gun sales, it... Again, this is just a proposal. This has not been signed yeah. until. I mean, my yet. my my qualms come from the fact that I believe all members of the proletariat should be able to arm themselves because you know, the crushing might of the state is that the crushing might of the state, and you should at least have a chance to defend yourself. See, for me, this comes off as very ha look, ha ha America, look at us, we can do this better, and yeah. it, it, it feels very dick wavy. It was, it's very much sounds dick wavy, and, and honestly, it's kind of counterproductive not, to, if it does go through. It's not just counterproductive; it's very insulting and tone deaf. And like it, again, like he could have done it with assault weapons and rifles, yeah, but he went after handguns, like. Excuse me for sounding like a conservative, but uh, that's that's a kind of an important tool. Yeah, but hand... that's that's kind of more important than the rifles. Yeah, like mass shootings are made exponentially easier by rifles because rifles have a higher rate of fire. And again, only of the past four shootings we've had, only one of them have had a pistol. Yeah, most of them have used semi-automatic rifles. Yeah. So. Uh. I don't know. This, this, I don't like it. It it feels very weird. Yeah, but as for what America should be doing, um, in terms of gun reform, we've already spoken on increase um, wait times. Increase wait times. Red flag laws need to be instituted in all fifty states. Um, if there are any automatic weapons that have not been banned, they should be banned. Because, in my opinion, while the proletariat does deserve the right to protect themselves from the crushing might of the state, you do not need automatic weapons to do so. If you were in a position where you would need an automatic weapon, you would already be fucking dead. Yeah. So, no automatic weapons. We should, however... Um, I know this is a bit controversial, at least in gun communities, but I do agree with the bump stock ban. as it uh, makes That has apparently done fairly well i agree with bump stock bands because bump stock bands um bump stocks help with recoil which makes it easier for you to continually fire at least in the case of if a mass shooting has happened the least you would want it at least you would want to make it so that the shooter is having the hardest time doing so yeah so i do agree with bump stock bands and i believe bump stocks should be banned universally 
and um, uh, universal background checks. Um, anyone on the no-fly list should not be allowed to purchase handguns. And while, yes, that is rife for corruption in that many people are wrongfully put on the no-fly list, at the same time, there are many people that are currently on the no-fly list for very good reasons. They should not be allowed to own guns. Um, if you have been convicted of violent crimes in the past, such as domestic violence, you should never be holding a gun. Ever. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you have committed a violent crime and you have been convicted of it, you should not be allowed to own a gun ever, in my opinion. Whether it is domestic violence, rape, murder, assault, not assault, maybe assault and battery, but um, what was I going to say, armed robbery, things like that. You should not be allowed to own a gun as you have proven yourself to be a threat with said guns. But, 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 oh, Second Amendment says my, 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 my gun belongs to uh, me. Yeah, yeah, but at the same time, we also had it so that, um, every man was, every man was, um, able to fucking vote, but, um, you see how that worked. So, I do want to get down to that, because ultimately, when you, like, let me actually, we'll be more accurately able to do this if we actually pull up the text of the Second Amendment, because I actually do want to talk about, like, why it's interpreted the way that it is. So let's just go ahead and actually look up the actual text of the Second Amendment because I feel like this is imperative to the discussion that we're about to have. So, yeah. Second Amendment. Okay. So the Second Amendment states a well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Okay. So. Of course, this has been interpreted a lot of times to mean everybody has the right to own guns. Yeah. And so what really needs to um, be understood is, like, the uh, well-regulated part. Yeah. That's what's... Well-regulated militia. Yeah. Well, at this point, what's weird about that part is that militias have been, like, at this point, militias have been phased out and have become, like, the National Guard at this point. Yeah, and any militias that do exist, um, well, they're also usually double as criminal organizations. Exactly, exactly. So, ultimately, the reason that the Second Amendment is so controversial at times is because it's always open up to interpretation by the legal system. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's up to the Supreme Court to decide what that truly means. And either that means only militias can hold guns, which isn't probably not going to be considered accurate by most or everybody gets the right to have guns whenever they want which uh is most certainly not how i want it to be interpreted yeah so ultimately at the end of the day it's more of what is what is the inter interpretation that that we can justify the most and ultimately the well-regulated part is what needs to be emphasized the most of course the amendment is heavily outdated because of the inclusion of the term militia yes Yeah, I felt like that was like a small little mini tangent that needed to be had because, of course, at the end of the day, what goes on with these constitutional um, amendments is, of course, the interpretation of it. That's a big part of the legal system. Yeah. I just felt like that needed to be said. Oh, God. I agree. Yeah. But it's just all upsetting. Yep. At the end of the day... This is probably going to be the next two few months until November. I'm going to be honest with you. These things are going to go up and up and up, and then their rhetoric, rhetoric will cease as soon as they take power again. 
And uh, well, if they take power, we have a lot of issues. Yeah. Yep. Again, Republicans are probably going to take the Senate, and uh, there's a good chance they're going to take the House too. I'm not ready for that. I mean, they already have the legal system. We're already screwed. Yeah. They're, they've already got the ju- judiciary branch already. Yep. Uh, in 2024, if they win the fucking executive branch. Yeah, and unfortunately, what a lot of people don't realize is the fact that so many states have been gerrymandered to oblivion. Yeah. It's going to be a mess, but we got to be ready for it. Yep. So, definitely, uh, definitely stay safe out there. Happy Pride Month to everyone. Yeah, I was about to say Happy Pride Month. It is the start of uh, Pride. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, oh my god. This was definitely a downer note to end after we just went through a fuck ton of exciting media segments with a lot of good. Yeah. We ended with a politics segment that was full with a lot of bad, but, um, such is life. This is the world we live in. Not everything is sunshine and rainbows. Ouch. I mean, am I wrong? Uh, I don't want it to be wrong. Unfortunately, it isn't. But, with that... We'll we are done. We have been talking for three hours. This is our longest episode. Whoa. Jesus. Well, hope all of you have a good night. We'll be coming back next week, hopefully with more upbeat segments. What we have we got be, to look up for? We got uh, Obi- Kenobi episode four and Miss Marvel episode one. I can't believe it's already here. God. Yeah. Let me see. Miss Marvel comes out this day. Yep. They come out the same day. Um, yeah, um, next week, um, oh yeah, next week I do want to talk about, um, the Young Justice Phantoms because, um, next week will be the, our episode will come in before the season four finale of Young Justice, so I want to give my recap of the series as a whole. Um, oh yeah, and some other media news we didn't cover, uh, Konosuba got, uh, a season three, was it? Woo, yeah, and a spinoff. Season three announced and a spinoff, so congratulations to Konosuba fans, I know Sovereign is one of them. (laughs) Despite the fact that it is a, gen- it is a, it is based off of generic isekai, and isekai are trash. Not this one. Yes, isekai are trash. Hashtag fuck sword art online. <laughs> but with that, I believe now we have covered everything. We are fully caught up. Finally. Did we miss anything in DC? I don't care. <laughs> Oh, yeah, uh, the Catwoman and Legends of Tomorrow got canceled. Not Catwoman, Batwoman and Legends of Tomorrow got canceled as part of Warner Brothers Discovery's, um, uh, you know, really? re- I reshaping ex- everything and, t- and trying to create a DC's new content vertical. I did not expect them to cancel Batwoman. Wow. They canceled Batwoman, they canceled Legends of Tomorrow, Arrow's already over, Flash is in its final season, CW Universe looks to be ending, except for Superman and Lois and Stargirl, because both of those shows are doing well right now. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I think that is everything. Um, yeah, so we'll see you guys uh, next week. Um, we're glad to be back after two weeks. We, I'm sorry a family member caught COVID, okay? Yes, so, yeah, <laughs> we will be coming back with any news, information, updates regarding various things we talk about. Uh, I believe Dark Crisis Issue 1 comes out next week as well so we may review that since we already reviewed death of the justice league which was a pre which was the prelude to dark crisis yeah which uh oh boy yeah from the bit that i read Hmm. yep we are we are in for a lot 
But uh, yeah, with that, um, we've been live for three hours and 16 minutes. And we are eager to get off of the, of the stream. Yeah. Good night, everybody. Good night.